It's Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. My right-hand man. My, I, yeah, I don't think I work with left Do I have any left-hand? No, I don't have any left-hand guitarists around me. I don't, I don't do that anymore. My right-hand man, Rick Habib, on the ones and twos. How you doing, Rick? How you doing, man? My friends call me Rick the Stick. How you doing? <laughs> what kind of friends? Wait, do I want to know? I don't, <laughs> hey, I don't know. hey. Just guys I know from around the way. How you doing? You, How's everybody doing out there? You got me thinking of Sandman from ECW with the, with the stick. Uh, with the, the kendo st- stick. Yeah, yeah Sandman. Yeah. Francine. Yeah, oh, hey. Oh, yeah. All right. Good oh, yeah. Good old days. 90s, I saw man. ECW in, uh, in Roosevelt. In uh, Long Island, <laughs> that's where to see it. ECW yeah. was big in the nineties in Long Island. Yeah, ninety eight, ninety eight, man, it was good shit. You used to have, you used to see like flyers for. ECW. I think you could actually buy tickets to none of the above records. Maybe I'm wrong. I might you be. Could be right. That could might right. I, I might be misremembering. It might be all caught up in the haze of nostalgia. Speaking of the haze of nostalgia, how you been lately? What's going on, man? I've been good, man. Been busy uh, uh, getting things finished with uh, with the Great Skies Fallen album. That's done recording and now beautiful we're just waiting on yeah so a lot of stress a lot of a lot of weight <laughs> off my shoulders now so that's beautiful and um yeah just uh writing uh riffs a bunch of riffs and uh, riffs on top of riffs for different various things reeking aura getting the foot dipped in the water for more gray skies falling stuff doing all sorts of stuff so yeah having wow. good times man yeah beautiful man yeah i speaking of dipping the feet in the water and uh, I've been getting ready for summer myself, man. I went, you know, we had, it's been cold out lately, but like two weeks ago, we had those two random hot days. It got real, br- like, like, like crazy hot for, for, uh, um, uh, spring. And I, I was said to myself, I got to, speaking of also of like Long Island of, uh, of ECW and Roosevelt and the night, I, I had to dip into my basketball short funds. It oh. was that time of year, man. I know we talk about we talk about basketball shorts a lot on the podcast. I figured oh, yeah. I got some new Reeboks. I got a champion. Mm-hmm. Champions. Um, yeah, I got a, got, a, got a little pair of champions there. I went in the closet. I dusted off. I have, I have a trust. You know, you talked about end one. Mm-hmm. And we we talk about it jokingly, but I have a pair of end ones that have lasted me like a good six or seven years now. Old trusty end ones. They're, I'm wearing a pair of end one basketball shorts as I speak. Yeah, right it's, now it's uh, you know, it, you know. It's silky smooth. Um, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it any <laughs> other way. <laughs> you know, if you go free balling with basketball shorts, it feels real nice. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be crass. Yeah, but, but no, uh, no, you know, no. this is how this is how we do. This is basketball uh, shorts weather. To me, that's uh, eleven months. Out of the year, but wow. for everybody else, you know, for a big man like big men, we we yeah. wear basketball shorts. Big men, a lot, a lot. Uh, I have a friend that that he doesn't like when pe- when men wear basketball shorts. He says that's what children do. So like when um, <laughs> <laughs> so when like I play a show like with Buckshot, I would wear basketball shorts once yeah. in a while, and yeah. he's like, "Oh, you're wearing your basketball uniform to play, like like a whole uniform. Like I should wear like a Patrick Ewing jersey and basketball." You, sh- you should. That would be kind of slam. <laughs> I mean, I would be slam. Actually. That would be if we yeah. went hardcore, man. That would fucking be awesome. I mean, I take it this person wasn't fat. Just just <laughs> putting it out. He's a hefty man. He's really? a hefty. He's a hefty man that does not like the basketball shorts. That's so that's rare. That's yeah, weird. Yeah, I have to have a talk with him after. I'm going to send him this episode when it posts. We'll have to. We'll get his opinions for next time. Dude, I, as as a fat man myself, <laughs> fat men shouldn't have opinions on what other fat men wear. Just like just, <laughs> just be one, dude. One let let us club. Yeah, let the other fat guys live, man. Who the fuck? 
what the fuck are you doing out there, man? If, if we found something that fits and is fucking comfortable and has pockets, just leave us alone. And it has elastic bands. Yeah. It has an elastic waistband. I mean, fuck. <laughs> oh, God. All <laughs> right, man. Look, we talked about the 90s. We talked about bringing it back. None of the above. Basketball shorts. The whole nine. We're going to get into it right now, man. I got two guys that are going to bring us there and back all over again. All over again. None other than Andrew Orlando. Andrew or, wow, tongue twisted here in this haze of nostalgia. I'm talking about none other than Andrew Orlando and Carlos Ramirez, who some of you may know from Black Army Jacket. Others may know from the various other bands and platforms these men have established. Let's put them on. This is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with none other than Andrew Orlando and Carlos Ramirez, who many of our listeners may know from their work in the band Black Army Jacket, but uh, also many other projects and platforms as we're going to get into. Welcome uh, to Heavy Hole Podcast, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. My pleasure, man. We appreciate your time. Um, And as there are two of you, like we always do when we have multiple people on, especially from the same band, um, if I got it right now, I credit my research, um, Analog Attack YouTube channel, um, Wikipedia actually has a great Black Army Jacket article, the No Echo website, which you yourself, Carlos Ramirez, are uh, responsible for, and we'll get into that, One Step Beyond podcast um and 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 uh, uh discogs as i always say just to clear that out of the way i know that you guys met at a fugazi show no that's true yeah i remember it was uh <clears throat> on Long island uh we both uh grew up in queens which for people that aren't from the tri-state area of new york queens is borders long island so um we you know growing up there we had the benefit of having shows in manhattan and brooklyn and then you know a few shows here and there in Queens. Queens wasn't really happening for shows for the most part, but uh, Long Island had a lot of going on with not everything from arenas to clubs to VFW halls. So uh, Fugazi played a uh, you know volunteer-run place there, and uh, Andrew had a distro table. And for people who are younger who don't know what distro tables are, um, although I do see them every now and then at fests now, hardcore fests. It's basically just you set up a table and you have records from all over the world, uh, sometimes even T-shirts. And then um, Andrew had his distro because he had a label at the time. And um, yeah, we we struck up a conversation. If I remember correctly, the record that we started talking about was Karate uh, Cherry Coke 7-inch. Is that true, Andrew? Yeah, it's a split with Crown Hate Ruin um, on Art Monk Construction. And we were laughing about the song. We were like, and we were like talking about like doing bands like that, but then we quickly morphed into like, we should do a band like Napalm Death or Infest yeah. or something. Like that. <laughs> and then like at the same show, uh, that was when Fugazi played the PWAC on Long Island. Forgive me, Will, I can't recall the date, but you could probably look it up. It was a famous show. Fugazi packed that place out. It was amazing uh, to have them come to Long Island and get that respect. It, it was it was awesome. And also, you know, Artie Philly booked that show. 
Artie from Philly from Millhouse. Incredible job they did on on getting Fugazi up here. But um, at that show also was the other two members of, of Black Army Jacket, the other bass player, Chris Russo and Dan Crowell. I think we all corralled each other together. We just started talking about it. And we didn't have a singer. That, that was the thing. And then from there, we just put out feelers. And I, I got a message from Lee from Soundviews. He used to, there used to be a zine from Brooklyn called Soundviews. It was like a free magazine distributed all throughout the city. And he mentioned this guy, Rob, who became a singer. And he was in this band called Altercate the Senses. So I'd seen them. And he was like wild. So I, I was like, he's probably perfect for this. So that's really how like the origin of the band came about. So, and our first practice will uh, was in Huntington, believe it or not. <clears throat> was it because Dan Crowell himself was from Huntington? That is true. Being we we practice in his parents' basement. <laughs> yep. I now admit At the it, time. I don't. I've I was introduced to Dan Crowell once or maybe twice when I was a teenager, but he was a few years older than me. And when you're in high school, that's a big deal. Um, right. but like we had a few mutual, I believe he, he knew some of the guys that would end up in buckshot facelift with me as they were a few years older than okay. me too. And also I've talked before the guy, um, who got me into all this underground stuff, Adam Rotella, famously of the noise core project, uh, anal birth. Um, he was also a few years older than me and he went to high school with Dan Crowell and he passed on a tape to me that wasn't for his tastes. Uh, that Dan Crowell made him. It was a dub of Fear of God, the Swiss band, and Man is the Bastard. And that tape made a huge impact on me as a teenager. So I don't know if Dan would ever even know that, man. And then one time when I joined my band that I was in in high school, Cursed Earth, I might have even been on the way out to try out for the band with Adam at the Huntington train station to take it out to New Hyde Park. Adam says, hey, Dan, and there's this guy walking up in like a button down shirt with glasses. Uh, and he says, hey, Will, this is my, my friend Dan Crowell. And he said, I'm going out to the city to play with this band Black Army Jacket. And that made a distinct impression on me, too. Yeah. So I just wanted to squeeze in those little like lore stories before I before I before I make it all about me, man. But like you, That's Dave Witty gets a lot. Obviously, Dave Witty is on the bulk of the material and, and carries a much weightier weight, uh, weightier reputation. I don't know what Dan Crowell's up to or anything. Uh, since those since those days, but the Huntington connection was big for me too because I was a fan of Half Man. Um, yeah, so were we. Well, yeah. We loved we loved Half Man, and we we were always like these guys are awesome. like good shit. Like Man is a Bastard, you know they like Scape Grace, you know all those bands that were more like underground in Long Island. They weren't like VOD. They didn't, they weren't like blowing up. They were like more of like what we like the uh, more like the uh, the gritty shit. And Dan obviously liked all the stuff that we liked. So it was like a perfect fit, even though he was a lot younger than us. We all like vibed yeah. on like the uh, the kind of shit that we like, especially like the Man of the Bastard type stuff. Like, and I'm not surprised he made you a tape with those two bands, Fear of God and Man of the Bastard, because those are influences of us too. Um, and Dan is actually on a lot of the material. Uh, you know, we recorded a lot of shit um, be, uh, between the demo, the seven inch, all these split seven inches. Dan is on all of that. Dave is really only on the album. And the later stuff oh, okay. that came out okay. after the album, uh, the split with the Gothic Lees, and um, we had like a lost record. We'll, we'll talk more about the record stuff later, but um, you know, I guess maybe it's kind of evened out, you know. But Dave is on the album, so that's like you know, yeah, the the, the more accessible. Well, the more <laughs> the more accessible thing uh, until the closed casket digital discography came out. But one of the 
one of the factors in, in me reaching out to you guys finally and us doing this is the uh, 59 track discography. Is it, uh, is it open casket with the state of mind uh, reissue? What's that going to be called? Yeah, it's called open casket, the discography. Uh-huh. It's a double LP and it compiles everything that's not the album, everything except two, two, two. So everything that was on closed casket is on there. Plus on closed casket, we didn't have the split with ten block on it for some reason. I don't, don't I don't even know why, but whatever. <laughs> um, now it has everything that wasn't on the album. So we have, it's it's like a full discography aside from 222. Okay, man. On State of Mind Records. Is it State of Mind Records or That's right. Recordings? Re- State of Mind it's Records. State of Mind Recordings. And yeah. I'm doing it. It's a split release with my label, Brain Scan Records, also. Okay. Uh, but, you know, I do. Dave does the bulk of the work, though. <laughs> Dave, Dave from State of Mind is the best. He's like, and Dave also has, uh, we were talking about distro before. He's a distro god. He's got oh every god. record. I don't know how he does it, but he has so many records that he sells. So his basement's buy, like a record store. <laughs> yeah, if you want to, if you want to buy records and you want to buy from different labels and want to support someone doing cool, cool stuff DIY, uh, State of Mind Recordings on social media. hundred uh, percent. I order from him frequently, um, and he and he does. He tends to get like some some like strange death metal and grindcore stuff out of nowhere, and some like weird '90s reissue stuff. He like he pops up with some crazy stuff, man. He he's been doing the game for a very long time, like we were saying behind the scenes. But um, but uh, let's uh, let's take it away from me and from Huntington for a while. I don't like to talk this much. Um, I got you guys here. We talked about the Fugazi show. Take me back a little bit before that. Um, and, and maybe, uh, Andrew, if you're patient with me, let's start with Carlos. Carlos, you're from Queens, New York originally. Um, and I know from, like I said, from the research I did, uh, Kiss was very big to you growing up, the kind of ambiance, the visual, the, the showbiz, maybe so to speak of, of things. And then as you, you grow older, obviously like that, that path towards extreme metal is very easy to follow, but maybe share with us, uh, you know, for me and the listeners, like your, your version of that path and some of the highlights and what it was like being in Queens, New York, growing up in that style of music at the time. Yeah. Well, um, you know, my, I have a, a really good good memory with things that I care about. So I'm, I'll meet someone and I'll forget their name in two, two minutes later at some mixer or some party, something with my wife, you know, work related shit, but I can memorize things are not that I'm trying to, but I have really strong memories with music. So my first memories are always tagged to music, whether that's, if uh, for the older people, uh, Andrew Orlando included here, uh, the RSO Records was the pig, and RSO Records was the label that released uh, the Grease soundtrack, mm. and the Bee Gees Records uh, were, had the RSO pig on the on the vinyl. That's one of my first memories. I remember uh, going on my family you know family functions, and my older cousins had those those disco records from RSO, and then Kiss uh, was at the time so if i was you know four or five years old kiss actually were on their way down of their peak commercially but they were still in the in you know in the media um and because of kiss it was um this obsession with uh records uh at that time anything with kiss on it magazines tv guide things like that i would just uh collect uh, get my hands on if a newspaper. My parents would get newspapers. I would cut out the kiss 
you know, playing the garden. I wasn't going to see them at that time. Obviously, it was too little, but it started there. Um, and then, um, you know, everything from uh, disco music to early uh, uh, hip hop, uh, everything that was just happening on radio at the time there was wplj new york uh there was uh, wbab there was all these different stations that uh, we had in new york at the time so anything that was on the radio i would make these little tapes and listen to i didn't care about genres i'm still very um uh all over the map with genres i don't really it doesn't matter to me if, if i like it i like it um but it, it was yeah kiss started it all and you know Growing up in, in Queens, in New York City, uh, I was born in 75. So, you know, by the early 80s, New York City was on fire culturally with the music stuff. It was everything from Run DMC to, um, to freestyle music, which is for people that are not from uh, NYC, Miami, or parts of LA, freestyle music is like a, kind of like synth pop mix with disco. And that was a huge thing for me, still is. Um, and then, um, yeah, going back to Kiss, the, the throughway would be Kiss to everything after that, which would be, from, in my case, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, Sunset Strip, hair metal. So all the bands that came out from that scene, everything from the crew to, um, you know, uh, Rat to you name it from the 80s, I was obsessed with. And... Uh, yeah, then you get heavier, you get into Maiden, you get into, uh, for Maiden, it's not heavy enough or fast enough, you get into Slayer, and then comes Hardcore. And Hardcore, for me, uh, you know, speaking from my uh, experience, I, I wasn't even aware of it at the time, but it was just made a lot of sense. It felt more attainable, it felt more, um, the lyrics, the, the things they were talking about, the, the imagery, uh, was more, I guess, more urban, more street related, more what I would relate to growing up where I grew up. And um, yeah, the Leeway, Killing Time, Sick of It All, these bands all came from Queens. And um, yeah, you, you know, you would see them at shows, even at metal shows. You know, I remember going to see Maiden at National Coliseum and seeing uh, AJ from Leeway there with someone. And it was like, whoa, a rock star is here. You know, the guy from Leeway is here. But yeah, it was, you know, huge, uh, huge for me to, to discover hardcore that way through Thrasher magazine, through Thanksless, through seeing t-shirts, you know, seeing a, a band that I love, for example, like Metallica or, or Violence or Exodus wearing a crumb sucker shirt. What is that? You know, what is, what is um, agnostic front? Sounds sounds looks interesting. It looks weird. I probably will like it. And then and then uh, yeah, you, you find it at the time. Obviously, before internet, you'd have to uh, seek it out uh, in a much more um, you know uh, like a kind of a detective at the time. <laughs> but the key thing in here, and, I, and, and I'll, I'll leave it at this. The key thing for me, going even back to Kiss, was being around older people and. You know, like you said earlier, when you're a teenager or even younger, someone being three years older than you is a huge difference, a huge deal. <clears throat> uh, my friend Johnny, uh, my friend Alfred, his brother Johnny Dennehy, uh, was uh, when I was probably seven, eight years old. He was in his late teens, and he had access to all these records, and he made a huge difference. He was a Kiss nerd, and he would 
give me records to, to borrow. He lived across the street from me. So I, I would go back to my building and, and make these tapes from the records he lent me. I didn't even care what it was. I would just make them and then, and then listen to them after the fact. Uh, and then with hardcore, it was a lot of older friends who, like my friend Stephen, uh, who was an next-door neighbor, he would go to Lemoore and, you know, I would go with him and, and have a fake ID and no one cared. And, you know, he, he was very, uh, there was no gatekeeping in my experience with, with that. Uh, it was just, yeah, you're into this? Check this out. And um, I, can't, I can't get over that feeling. I still get excited when I, when I find something new. I know it's hard when you're older and you're jaded and you've been around the block and maybe I'm guilty of that at times, but I still get really excited when someone's like, you haven't heard this, check this out. You like this, you might like this. So um, that's how I found so much music. And even Andrew, when, when we um, started talking about Black Army Jacket, uh, the reference points were Napalm Death, Voivod, uh, you know, death metal bands, uh, you know, Brutal Truth. But then he was also into bands I wasn't aware of yet. I wasn't aware of crossed out when I met Andrew, you know, in 95. Uh, so I, I had to go backwards a little bit to, to find Infest, crossed out, that kind of stuff. Um, my, a lot of my, uh, you know, the Black Army Jacket side of things, like the power of violence, that kind of stuff, uh, was me learning it through being in the band. I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't, uh, a, I've never been really like a record collector. And I, wasn't aware of these bands, but when I heard it, yep, it made sense. Oh, they, this sounds like Napalm Death, but slower or faster. Or this sounds like, um, you know, a death metal band, but with more, uh, with you know, less less length in the songs, not any solos involved, uh, to the point. So um, uh, back to that, you know, Andrew, a little bit older than I am, had more uh, experience with certain bands, and he he made me tapes. So. The long answer to your question, but uh, it's important for me to to talk about you know the influence of people that are a little bit older that might you know get you into something, and uh, I, I try to do that with the with the website. Try to just turn people on to music uh, because I have access now. So, yeah. Okay, and that's a great that's a great uh, segue there to pass it to Andrew. Um, Andrew, now. <clears throat> At the at the point where you guys met, you're already doing Reservoir Records, right? Right. Um, and maybe take us through a little bit. You're you're also from Middle Village is Queens, if I got it right. So you're also from That's Queens, correct. New York, too. You're also from Queens, different part of Queens, Not I guess. Not far from Carlos, just yeah. different part. Um, uh, take me a little bit through growing up, and one of my personal favorite bands, um, uh, Millhouse, one of my personal favorite bands in Long Island hardcore history, Millhouse, who we touched on. We did interview... Uh, promoter Christian McKnight, who had a lot to do with the PWAC many years ago, and we touched on that a little bit in that interview, just for the listeners yep. if they want to go back. But maybe just take us through your personal experience uh, growing up, uh, music in your family, getting into harder and heavier music, and any other bands you might have been involved in besides uh, Millhouse, which I obviously know about, and then maybe take us sure. through right, right up to, to that Fugazi show, man, Reservoir Records, and where you were at at that point. Sure. So yeah, I grew up in Middle Village, Queens. It's uh, you know, surrounded by cemeteries, so it's pretty morbid, you know. <laughs> and surrounded by cemeteries and full of guidos. So there you go. It's like <laughs> one of those uh, one of those places, right? So I growing up, but there were a lot of metalheads, you know, around. So I, I kind of got the flavor of that. But 
the first record I found on my own in my dad's collection was the last record in his collection. Obviously, never listened to it was Black Sabbath Paranoid. Mm. So I used to play that record over and over and over again. And nothing else he had in his collection, Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, you know, stuff like that. Nothing compared to the heaviness of it. And it just intrigued me to like beyond belief. And then got into Ozzy, you know, got into, you know, Metallica, you know, Iron Maiden. And I saw a lot of kids around me, you know, in the, the metal scene, getting into Slayer, of course. Hello Aids had come out. And then just Slayer took over everything, right? Slayer had a huge following in New York. And I think they had a lot of, a lot of fans in Queens because everybody was in Slayer in my neighborhood, you know, aside from the Guidos, of course, the metal kids. So Slayer was everything to us. Rain and Blood was our God. And that was our religion, you know, Slayer. And then from Slayer, you know, I, I made a tape. Somebody made me a tape of Rain and Blood on one side and Suicidal Tendencies first album on the other. So that kind of blew my mind open like for like what could be you know it was like my first taste of hardcore and crossover so then i started getting into like uh you know dri coc you know all those bands suicidal all the crossover cryptic slaughter was a big one for me too so that got me into the fast like crazy stuff on on the crossover side and from crossover kind of like all those bands started going metal, right? DRI put out crossover, and then COC, you know, after Animosity, you know, went, went in a different direction too. So all those bands started going metal. So, you know, we're, I, I grew up like seven miles away from CBGBs, right? So, I mean, I started going to CBs, you know, older friends from the neighborhood would take me. I was too young to get in. I was like 15 years old. I would get kicked out all the time and started seeing Gnostic Prime sick of it all <laughs> gorilla biscuits youth of today you know bold all those bands blew my mind and kind of like made me go that direction right because there's only so much of the metal stuff the lyrics didn't speak to me as much anymore so hearing sick of it all that like that's what i was going through at the time teenager revelation records kind of like saved got me through high school right so 1987 that was like my year for hardcore because Revelation came out with the Warzone seven inch, sick of it all seven inch, GB seven inch came out after that compilation, you know, together, all that stuff really kind of put me on the New York hardcore path. And you know, all the all the hardcore from around the world, you know, all the DC stuff, Mind of Threat, the Boston stuff, SSD, negative approach, all that stuff. So that was really like my gateway into getting into hardcore. So from there, you know, when you get a little bit older and you you kind of like want to play in bands, you buy guitars, you you know, you start start doing your thing. That's the, that's what got me into it. You know, the ease of you know playing playing that kind of music, and you know, I, I just had the idea. I said, you know what? I got a little bit of cash. I saved up some money, and I was like, I wanted to go to Europe and just go around Europe and like check out like hardcore places, you know, with like a band or something. I was gonna go tour with somebody, like Bad Trip or something like that. I wanted to do, and I decided, you know what? I'm gonna take this money and put a record out instead. So this is like '93. So I was like, I'm gonna start a label because I, I used to volunteer at this record store called Reconstruction Records in the city, and Charles from Gern Blanston was there all the time. Freddie from uh, War Dance Records. Will and Tom from Chainsaw Safety were there all the time. 
So, and freedom from struggle records was there all the time. So those guys really like showed me how to do a label DIY, like how they did it. I just copied everything they did. So that's really how I started Reservoir. And the cool thing about being in Queens was we're in between the Long Island scene and the Staten Island scene. Cause Staten Island scene had a good burgeoning hardcore scene. They had a lot of good shows happening at this place called The Joint. And Long Island had an amazing scene with the PWAC, right? And all the other, you know, the basement shows and the, all the other venues that, you know, they had. So I was like smack dab in the middle. So I would go back and forth in between those scenes that really got got tight with all those people. So that's how, you know, I ended up at the Fergazi Show selling records because there wasn't room for a lot of distro tables. And they did like this lottery and I won the lottery to have a table at the show. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, that was a fair, fair drawing and yeah, stuff, but yeah, it wasn't yeah. like I was hooked up with them. But that's, that's funny. That yeah. kind of brings me, yeah, that's how I got, yeah, that's how I met Carlos. You know, that wow. was like a, kind of a fateful day for me, right? Going to, and Ian Mackay was looking through my records. I was like pulling records out and I'm like, oh my God, Ian's looking at my records. <laughs> I like felt like I was, I was like scared, you know, I was like, this is like the God of hardcore of minor threat looking through my records it has come full circle you know for me you know he's good because minor threat's a huge influence on me like i've always even when i was a metalhead i liked minor threat you know everybody did you know back then it was like minor threat was one of those transcendent bands that even metalheads like you know because they were fast but they had that melody it just got you right you know mm-hmm. and they were just awesome you know i think so I remember- that's really I, was Rick to life at that show with with his 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 uh? I, I remember him. I for some reason I remember him outside with his like his his fleet all his shirt, and he was like yeah. mad at me. He was like yelling. I'm like, dude, don't don't talk to me. Talk to somebody else. I'm like, I didn't like pay anybody to be here. I I I got this fair and square. So <laughs> get out, old bro. <laughs> you know, Rick to life. You love Rick to life mentioned always. You know, we have to get Rick to life mentioned in the in this talk. Yeah, but no, Rick to life always had like. Always had the distro set up there at the PWAC with, with along with Neil from Tribal War, the dude from Motherbox Records, Paul, Will and Tom from Chainsaw Safety, Chris Jensen from Mountain, and me were the regulars at the PWAC. And it was cool because everybody had different stuff. Nobody had like the same shit. Everybody had their niche. Even Rick to Life, you know, he he would be like big time trading stuff with people. So he'd always have like decent stuff too, you know. So I was like, it was cool. That was a cool scene for like it was a it was a nice like form of unity that record table thing, you know? You just dropped a lot of uh kind of cult regional record labels. <laughs> was Mountain Records yeah. the one that put out the I Can't Live Without It anti death penalty vinyl records? Yes. That was Chris Jensen. Yeah, yep. okay. He was in Half Man. He was in Half Man. Yes. So. I with Dan. What I uh, not that I've ever even met him, but I I inherited a four track and a microphone from Will Levitino, who was in Half Man. Oh yeah, he was uh, bass player. Yeah, Will's our, great. Our um yeah our our mothers uh, worked together in Huntington, so like <laughs> they they kind of had that common bond that our sons are into fucked up music, you know. And and at some point, I guess he had an old four track that went on to record Buckshot facelift recordings and stuff too. So um, that's although, amazing. Just a lot of weird, you know, uh, six degrees of separation stuff here, um, but. There you go, man. You now, like I mentioned before, I'm not going to let you off the hook because one of well, one of the first Reservoir Records releases was the Millhouse 52X uh, uh, split seven inch, and the Millhouse, I guess it would be demo, right? Yeah, I never put the uh, we the we self released the demo as the as a band. Uh, it was like three songs, 
Uh, but I did put out the split with 52X. That wasn't the like the first release, but it was um, it was like the fifth, maybe fifth release I did. And uh, yeah, it's the 52X was like a cult cult band on Long Island. Everybody knows 52X. They're went, infamous or famous, right? Uh, they were like the record, germs of Long Island. I, I call them. That record, <laughs> that 52X Milhouse split went platinum in Bayside and Huntington. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, they were like, yeah, they were like the germs of Long Island. I say all the time. That's that's that's. They were like just dangerous, like one of those dangerous bands. Like you don't there there. There's not many of those, right? There, anymore. There's someone in that band who has told me to not mention his name if I ever talk about them on no echo because he doesn't want his his job knowing about 52x that that's oh, a yeah. good 52 wow. echoes i was gonna yeah. i was about to ask you guys if you were at, i was literally gonna like sarcastically ask you are you at liberty to reveal who was in that band i was i was gonna ask you that that's funny well i don't think they uh like if you knew them from the scene like yeah, they didn't yeah. hide who they were they weren't masks it was um i mean it was well, we yeah, we don't. If the guy specifically no. said, "Don't don't talk about," it, yeah. we, we won't. If he said that, that's fine. Uh, of course, saying, like, uh, they didn't hide though. their identities. They didn't hide their identities. Everybody, well, knew they, everybody knew and knows who they are. Well, the singer Ruben was was you know like Artie Philly. They you know these these were guys who antagonized the crowd. Yeah, and and, yeah. and push people's buttons on purpose. And look, at times that kind of stuff annoys me because it's just not my personality, but I will tell you that we need stuff like that, right? We're, we're part of a subculture that is uh, supposed to be, you know, going left when you're supposed to go right sometimes. So whether you agree with it or not, you know, it's good to have these people in there. You, it's good to have Jello and good to have, uh, you know, Duid from Integrity. You know, th these are these are people that, that um, keep it interesting. But a 52 Wax was, was awesome, I love them. It was kind of like Drive Like Jehu on crack. Um, yeah, Drive Like Jehu on meth now. Okay. <laughs> keep it current, yeah. Yeah, keep it current, yeah. And also another thing, too, which I loved, which is so pretentious, was it was the 52X, not yeah, the 52X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they yeah. spelled it out. They spelled yeah, it yeah. out, too. It wasn't a number. <laughs> I, I love – we, we, Andrew, we, we text each other stuff like this, just so for the people listening. We're, we're still so nerdy about we, – we love those little details and nuances because that's – that's the shit we live for, you know, just a little nuance. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, I'll say this, Will. The thing that Carlos and I used to nerd out on the most was the Very Distro catalog. Remember that? Very Distro? I, I, that's, that, I think that's a little I, bit ahead of my time a little bit, yeah. Okay, yeah. It was, it's a, a really big distro from Philly. This awesome dude, John, rest in peace. He passed away. John Dudek did, uh, did this distro label. You know, he did Edison recordings, uh, but it was Very Distro. And he used to put out this catalog and just the ads and the descriptions in it. We would just fucking nerd out on it in my my van, like laughing about how cheap stuff was. Like we say cheap, but you know, like cheap meaning cool, or like you know, awesome. You know, that not like not like a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, I, in the punk way, I get it, man. In um, a punk way, yeah. Uh, and if I got it, if I got it right, before Black Army Jacket, you did perform on the uh, the first Millhouse album or EP, the Modern Problems, Old Fashioned Solutions, and Classic Mistakes. You played on like two songs, right? Yeah. So this is what I played on in Millhouse. I played on a demo. I played on the Split with Fifty Two X, and then I played on two songs on the CD EP of that. I didn't play on the seven inch that they put ah. out. I was on the CD EP, and then I was. Uh, Booted from the band right after that, or before that, or whatever. And then 
I started Black Army Jacket, but I love those guys. And they just reissued the uh, their album, which is my favorite thing by Millhouse, the Obscenity and Milk album. Yes. Yes. I you know That's their best that's their best work. My well, I can definitely obviously performance wise, they picked up the pace. It's very intense and a lot more in line with the power violence, quote unquote, of the time. Technical, uh, they they, they kind of have like the botch for beats gravity thing going on in that record, you know, with that, with the Long Island thing going on too, you know. I'll admit, like, the only reason why I prefer Modern Problems is nostalgic because, and I'll tell you why, This it's funny you specify between the 7-inch and the CD because the 7-inch is one of the first underground 7-inches I ever bought was from uh, None of the Above Records out East Long Island. Great record store. And Love that store. Because Millhouse used to play a lot of these VFW and church basement shows around my area, and when I was in, like, 7th or 8th grade at Finley Junior High School, we didn't know what was what about anything, but we knew that some of the older kids were going to these shows so we would tag along and mm-hmm. stuff like that and Millhouse made a big impression because they had that pseudo satanic vibe but they were kind of like a local hardcore band so you didn't know what the fuck was going on Ar- Artie Philly was definitely playing like a little diabolical PR angle back in the days in the Long Island hardcore scene <laughs> he probably still is uh, he, he actually he's playing on Long Island on June 2nd uh, okay he's been ready for death you should go to the show I'll be what, there. what's the name of his new band ready for death they're from Chicago Ready for the, yeah? I've kept up. I knew about you like them. I knew about celebrity murders and Concrete Cross. I try to keep up, but um. Maybe, oh yeah, that's awesome. Man. He was in the Shemps too. Okay, I'll, we'll, we'll try. We'll, we'll try. <laughs> you got to get him on. You got to get him on your podcast. Yeah, like I would say, we'll try to get him on. But um, and also, but I've I've been kicked out of bands too. By the way, there's no shame in the game, man. Um, uh, it, oh, ha- dude, it, it I happens. probably deserved it. I probably deserved it. <laughs> it happens, man. Uh, I, I definitely deserved it. But, you know, I kind of, like, you know, dusted myself off. And, yes. you know, I didn't cry about it. And just, uh, I, I started a new band with Carlos. And that was, that was my, you know, my shit. It was kind of where I wanted to be anyway. I oh, mean, yeah. I always wanted to do, like, a band, like, Infest and stuff. And that was, I mean, we have a lot of, Black Army Check has a lot of influences. And I could rattle off a couple Infest, Septic Death, Drop Dead, Spaz, Black Sabbath, Voivod, you know, it, it goes on and on. Um, we really were influenced by New York Hardcore, you know, you know, Crossed Out, all those Power Rollins bands too, but we're, we're an amalgamation of all kinds of stuff, you know. Uh, and Rob would probably have 10 different bands he's influenced by the singer that, you know, he would mention that are different than what I just said, but you know, we we were definitely like on a different trip for like the New York scene. We we tried to do something like different. We weren't like trying to be like everybody else at all. We, we were we were emulating something way beyond what was happening at, in New York at the time. And, and and at the time, by the way, there was, despite what the revisionist history is out there, the only bands that were doing like extreme shit like that were CR, Brutal Truth, Disassociate, Cattle Press. It's really about it. Carlos, am I missing anybody? (laughs) Oh, yeah, that was pretty much it. Because I always tell people that, um, you know, um, especially younger people who are just reading about it or looking at old videos or flyers, that, um, you know, in terms of we'll use power violence as the catch all and that kind of stuff, um, you know, New York was really tough, you know, for us. We did better on the West Coast, you know, we did better out here. And Philly, and Philly. West Coast and Philly. You know, those are our spots. And some of the squatter kind of punk scene kind of bleed over and that kind of stuff. Appreciated what we were doing more, you know, blast beats and and the short songs. And 
you know, I, I love Meathead Hardcore. Uh, Neglect, you know, shout out to Neglect, shout out to Long Island Legends. Classic. You know, one of, my, one of my all-time favorites. And because I'm the same age as VOD and those guys, that was big for me too. But that wasn't what Black Army Jacket did. So it was hard for us to to find kind of um, our own little – we didn't have – yeah, the bands Andrew mentioned, uh, you know, we were friends with all of them, still are, but th- we didn't have that um, – benefit of having a scene around us that we can kind of be part of because that helps so much. Um, so yeah. So that I tell people, yeah, you know, where were you then? You know, <laughs> I will say this. Was, one and, and one thing like, about that. Yeah. yeah go, ahead, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, no, I was going to say we had some good shows in New York city. Uh, don't get me wrong. You know, man is a bastard. Uh, show. Shout out to Ralphie. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Ralphie from a dissociate put us on that. Boy, uh, we had some good shows in New York, but by far the better shows were outside of New York city, which, which kind of sucks for me. Cause I, I would love to have, had that just you know hometown kind of love but it's fine it, har- hardcore and and metal dominate this region so much i think people tend to associate or stereotype power violence as being a west coast thing to begin with um because slap a ham records made such a big uh, yep. uh but you know you know you also uh, if i'm if i'm not if i'm not mistaken suppression was actually from virginia and you had yep. a lot of bands from like the midwest too there was a lot of people from different regions but the west coast just seemed to for some reason have that explosion of power violence uh bands uh anyway from my perspective collecting records and that sort of thing and maybe that's a good place i'd like to segue if you could touch on a little bit the relationship with gary from Noothgrush with whom you did Monkey Bite fanzine, and eventually that developed into uh, um, an intercoastal relationship where you guys would, would travel back and forth touring together between the bands. Yeah, and real quick, right before I, I get into that, um, I will say that that's the reason I put out that compilation, Nothing's Quiet in the Eastern Front. It's because I wanted to showcase all the bands on the East Coast that were doing that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, the heavier and harder, faster bands that weren't getting the love as, like, you know, listen, I worship Slap a Ham stuff and Chris Dodge and, and all those bands out there, but wanted to kind of showcase what we were doing here, and that's why we I did that compilation. So, I mean, you got to give it up to Drop Dead, who are the gods of all this on the East Coast, because they, they're still going, right? <laughs> they're yeah. a band that's been around since, like, 1990 or something, right? Eight, 1990, 91, and they're still doing and putting out amazing records. So, shout out to Drop Dead for like influencing us, first of all, and second of all, still doing this shit. It's amazing. You know. Oh, yeah. So, you asked about Gary and Monkey Bite. So, I had, I, I started writing, I, you know, back then people wrote letters, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and sent tapes and tape yeah. traded and stuff like that. So, I was trading tapes with Gary. He was sending me like all this man is the bastard stuff and i sent him the black army jacket demo he sent me the new crush demo we became like mutual admiration society of each other's bands right so i would go out there hang out with him he'd take me to all the shows i've met a lot of people i just really connected with the scene out there and you know they, they appreciated black army jacket a lot more on the west coast than they than like carlos said than here so we were like always talking about like our bands and our scene quote unquote i guess the power bunch sludge noise grindcore thrash scene right can't really categorize it because there's a lot of different types of bands in that genre you know overall but we were always talking about like 
there's no zines that cover this stuff at all, right? Like there's no MRR for this kind of music. You know, and MRR kind of was like doing a lot of pop punk and garage rock at that time. Yeah. In the yeah. in the mid to late nineties. It wasn't loved, you know, as like it as it is looked back on now finally. Yeah. So that's why we did the zine. Kind of just the and we wanted to make it stupid because we had stupid senses of humor. We we're like a guy from California and a guy from New York with like the same dumb sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> like monkeys, Star Wars, Planet of the Age, stuff like that. We sprinkled all that in for jokes, you know, but people loved it. You know, people really resonated with it. And you know, it's nice. It was nice to get love for that and and see that people still talk about the zine today, which is I'm flattered by because, you know, it was just something we did. We didn't even like put a lot of thought into it. We just like reviewed records, went to shows, took pictures, did interviews. It wasn't like a Herculean effort, right? And it became a little more like established when we put records inside. Like we did the Black Army Jacket and Youth Crush split in the second issue. And the third issue, we had a suppression of uh, Benum split seven inch, uh, split flexi. And B Numb are like, we love B Numb. They're, they're like, they could do no wrong to us, you know, like from Black Army Jacket perspective, we toured with them. We became like great friends with those guys along with Youth Crush too, those those folks. So those, those two bands really had a, a big impact on us um, on the, from the West Coast scene. Brought them out here, you know, they came out here a couple of times. Um, yeah, it was just a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Fun times, man. Another band you brought to Long Island is uh, from a little bit further distance, Japan's uh, cult sludge band, Corrupted. Oh, um, my God. One of the best bands ever. Yeah, and obviously they've kind of uh, continued to to draw uh, new followers and um, have, have some success within their scene. Uh, even up till up till fairly recently, man, a uh, name that stays on people's minds. You put out um, a split with them. You brought them here. Now, I got to admit, from the research, I, I've heard you relate uh, the story a little bit about bringing them over here. Um, I actually didn't bring them over, to be honest. I, I was just like a little bit a part of it. Okay. I helped book some shows, but Ralphie from Disassociate brought them here. Got it. Maybe well, Ralphie Ralphie Boy brought them, but go ahead. Another guy I want to get on the podcast. Disassociate played some of my earliest shows where I, I was at Castle Heights, Queens a lot when I was in high school. Um oh, watching Disassociate oh, awesome, open man. for bands. But but that's a whole other story. Ralphie'll do it. Ralphie'll do it. Get yeah, him on. Man. Yeah. Oh dude, it's it, it, it's the it's it's not the the will of, of doing it. It's like the scheduling, man. Trust me. I got a list that goes on and on of all these people. Like, <laughs> like sure. we were talking sure. before we started recording, dude. But but yeah, we will eventually, man. Shout out to everybody out there. But um uh maybe just take us a little bit through that, them coming over here. Um, was there a little bit of culture shock, a language barrier, and please describe in detail the the '90s Long Island hardcore audience uh, uh, watching Corrupted play? Because I'm sure they had they had a, a no frame of reference for that. Yeah, so when Corrupted came here, I mean, they sounded even heavier than the records live which is like hard to imagine because they're fucking totally like, you know, jackhammer to the face, you know, with the sludge, with the sludge sound, you know, and the guy's vocals, like you could feel like when, when he was guttural singing, whatever, you know, that, that really low vocal, you could just feel it inside your like live. It was crazy, you know, and 
when they came here, it was a big culture shock for them because they had never been here, number one. They didn't speak English too well. So it was a little tough. So we, I, I remember Ralphie and I picked them up from JFK Airport. And we took them to a diner in Queens. They didn't eat any food. All they did was order Heineken's. They just kept ordering Heineken's. So the whole table was just empty Heineken bottles. So like they treated a diner like a bar, which I thought was fucking classic. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just drank the whole time. It was, it was great. But their shows were incredible here. I remember one, one show they played at Coney Island High. I was like, I can't believe how heavy this band is. And like, nobody's like really getting it. And, you know, people were there, but it wasn't like, packed out you know for corrupt like now a corrupted plate would be sold out probably, yeah, right yeah yeah but they played long island at deja one with us and a couple other bands carlos i don't remember who else played the show forgive me um but i'm sure we can find the flyer somewhere but i just remember corrupted going over everybody's head <laughs> like it was just like one of those things like Asuk played here too right another thing there's a couple of kids, like the half man kids and stuff that were like vibe, like really getting into Asuk, but all the other kids were just like disinterested. And we're like ask one of the best bands of all time is playing in front of you right now. And you're just like not into it. But it was the time, you know, it's you can't they're all the kids, you know what I mean? You can't blame them. But it was just like one of those things that kind of like could fish you off potentially. You know, you're like you're not watching Asuk, you're just talking and skating over there or whatever doing whatever you're doing yeah you know? it's like crazy crazy to me because Asuk is like one of the best bands ever but pre the pre-internet um, days pre-internet days you know but um you know Asuk played a lot of other shows that were very uh well attended like they yeah. played cbs and people would be like holy shit you know of all the bands we played with and we played with some uh you know really og you know grind power violence bands and bands that are revered now and especially with younger people who didn't get to see these bands as suck to me the best is it was Number just one. like yeah it was just like business and uh steve's personality was just like the music just kind of like standoffish trying to like quiet <laughs> kind of you know, he was just like very like just focused you know let's let's maybe not standoffish let's say focused right it was um, crazy when he sang right it was like even yes. crazier because he's playing a Telecaster yes. through an Ampeg. And he had the mic like Lemmy. Yeah, playing Telecaster through an Ampeg and singing at the same time. That shit. Like, how yeah. do you do that? Like, how do you even practice that? It was like crazy. Yeah. It was per playing perfectly. Playing perfectly. Perfectly, perfectly yeah. Um, it w yeah, we're t we played with, with that version of the band from the Misery Index era, I guess. Um, oh, yeah, a bunch of times. Yeah, Many as suck. We, play we, we played at his record store in Florida, too. Yep, four or three counts. Um, yeah, but he he uh, or Asuk, just unreal, unreal. Uh, for me, the best band we ever played with. Wow. Um, for well, you know, unfortunately, I never got to see them live, but that's what that's what other people have told me, um, who were there. So, <clears throat> as we move forward, like we mentioned before, um, I had a little bit of a regional connection with Dan Crowell, your original drummer for Black Army Jacket. Uh, maybe take us through Dave Witte, former guest of our program. We have to get him back. I don't even think we made it up 
to um, the the Black Army Jacket days when I interviewed him because we we kind of yeah you mostly human remains I remember uh, I listened to it recently a guy yeah. like him you got to do a part one two three kind of thing because he's been in a lot of <laughs> he different... got up to Burnt by the Sun he got up to the... yeah he did, he did talk about Black Army Jacket a little bit yeah he talked about Burnt by the Sun how he named the band on a Black Army Jacket tour we got stuck in Florida and we all got sunburned and um, somebody said Burnt by the Sun and he's like oh that'd be a great band name and he he kept it <laughs> he used it for burnt by the sun post black army jacket as i'm spider webbing out the the potential future guests from this conversation i'm going to include him to come back uh, we love witty uh real nice guy i've met him a few times in person yeah like i said now maybe just if, if you guys could just give us a little information talk your your, your recollection of uh, if I got it right, Dan Crowell actually left, or whatever the situation was, he ends up in a band with some of the guys from CR, and uh, you guys end up in a band. Much later. Okay. Much later. And, yeah, yeah. But you guys. Celebrity murders. He's, uh, celebrity murders. What I'm really interested in is you guys are forming this new uh, uh, grind, power violence, whatever you want to call it, band. You put out a few releases, but you secure Dave Witty, who uh, people might know as this cult drummer, even at the time for his yeah. work in Human Remains. Yeah, so Rob, our singer, um, is really tight with Keith Huckins from Rorschach. Okay, and we were all friends with Keith too. Another uh, important, Keith, another out, important shout band. Out to Keith. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Keith; he's a genius. Um, Rorschach, dead guy, kiss goodbye. Look it up; you probably know already. All, another, <laughs> um, I mean, all, I, I got to, I got to put, put it on the list. Put it on the list. All right, put him on the list. Yeah. <laughs> put Keith on your list. Jesus, um, all right. Great dude. Great dude too. Um, Rob, you know, Dan and Chris simultaneously left Black Army Jacket. You know, they were really young. They were going to college. It was like they were kind of like, it was kind of like they were like graduating <laughs> and they were like moving on to something else, which is it's cool. You know, and we, there was no no animosity. We were all really good friends. Uh, we're all still friends um, to this day. But, um, and they get a kick out of us putting out records still and people still talking about us. They, they, they really enjoy it because they're, they're kind of like not in the scene really those Dan and Dan and Chris, but they're like, wow, you guys are still like, people still know about us. It, it's cool. Cool for them. You cool. know? Cool. Uh, but so Keith Huckins told passed on to Dave Whitty that we were looking for a drummer for a tour. We had a West coast tour booked, right? And we just needed a, a fill-in drummer for the tour. We were going to come back and look for a, a permanent drummer, right? So, and Carlos, jump in if uh, you know, I got anything wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is how it happened. We did the tour, and we all just were wise-asses to each other. It was like almost like he was like our best friend after the tour. Like, we were, all three of us be, fell in love with him. He fell in love with us as people, kind of. We all were like just complete wise essence to each other for the first minute we practiced, right? So it was like we had that bond as friends right away. So he he had so much fun on the tour. And I don't know if, you know, he, if he really experienced that before, he, he might have, you know, but, but he, Human Remains didn't do a lot of touring. They played a lot of shows, I'm sure. But, you know, he, he got that cohesion, that unit of the, the friendship thing. And... You know, musically, he just liked playing fast as well. So, Discord and Saxes didn't really tour. So, we were like kind of that for him. We played a lot of shows together and it kind of gelled and he kind of took our material in a different direction. Carlos, what would you say about it? 
Yeah, I mean, having uh, Dave Whitty in the band was, uh, you know, game-changing. Uh, yeah, it all got better. And this, this is me keeping it real here, right? Keeping it real like, like Rick to life. Um, <laughs> when Dan Crawl was a drummer of Black Army Jacket, our discharge-type shit sounded unreal. I love Dan's discharge-type, like, you know, just going for it, speedy stuff. And yep. that's he, an influence I, for us too, discharge. Yeah, and I prefer Dan's style on that kind of uh, kind of rhythm more than witty, um, which might be controversial for some people. But I that's just me being real. But having Dave in the band now, the blast beats come in on a on this like level that is just so ridiculous that now we could do like Asuk, discordance axis that kind of feel and and really you know. It, it upped, you know, I, as, as the bass player at that point, I was playing bass, uh, you know, we, at the beginning, we had two bass players, then man is a bastard influence. But by that point, it was just me, uh, you know, as a bassist having to, to play with, not having to, that sounds like I'm being punished, but it really was like, you got to step it up now, you know, you got to really, uh, you're playing with someone on that level, you can't be, uh, you know, you have to not be sloppy, you have to really just uh, kind of be more precision uh, based, like a like a metal uh, player would be. So having uh, Dave in there was insane. Now the the, the interesting part for me uh, with when Witty joined was, I remember um, when Andrew brought it up to me. Oh yeah, Dave Witty from Discordance Axis uh, is going to do the tour with us. And to me, it blew my mind because Dave, I knew Dave before that from uh, I used to do a zine, a death metal zine called Extremities, and I met Dave during that era, which was probably like 90, 91. And uh, we were, you know, friendly. We, we wrote each other letters, I remember. We, we, you know, I interviewed for the zine, and I would see him at death metal fests and, and, and stuff like that out in Rhode Island, for example. And, uh, you know, I remember we, my friends in that circle of friends, we were just like big Dave Woody fans. Um, and, you know, when... Andrew brought him up, it blew my mind because it was like, you might as well have just told me, um, yeah, so Neil Peart is going to join us for this tour. <laughs> for that world, it was that, that like for me, huge. And the fact that, uh, you know, I, I, I knew him, um, we're friendly. Uh, I already had a, a feel for his personality and his, and his jokes. I was like, this is going to be great. Uh, and, and that was really really psyched for the tour. And like Andrew said, once we were on that plane, it was just, and in practice before that, we were already cracking jokes, inside jokes. We had reference points to make about everything from death metal to hardcore, because he, a lot of people don't know, he was really into that revelation hardcore and, and stuff like that too. And we um, bonded on that for sure. Yeah. So we had all these musical reference points that we could just joke around about and make fun of and, and talk about people from other bands that we knew and, and um, we we just got along so well, uh, which is rare when you have um, people from different parts of you know. He grew up in a very different kind of family than I did, and Andrew and, and Rob Lowey is you know immigrant parents. His you know Rob is Japanese, and is it Iran? Iraqi. Iraqi. Yeah, there you go. So you know, I'm my parents were from South America, so it was just all this like melting pot of of uh, backgrounds, but here we are, you know, in Oakland or whatever. And it was just like, you know, right away we just gelled and 
Yeah, I remember when he said to to us, you know, I, I want to, I'm having a good time, and I'll, I'll, if you, you guys will have me, I'll be, you know, I'll, I'm sticking around. So that was really a game changer um, for us. And and again, as a player and Andrew and all, you know, we we just we had to step it up a bit to to yeah. um, to play catch up with him. But <laughs> he he, you know, for someone, I just saw him actually a couple of nights ago. Uh, Municipal Waste was out here in L.A. And I always go see him when they play here. Um, you so, know, for someone who who's done what he's done and has revered as he is uh, for his drum work, he is one of the nicest uh, people. Uh, humble, uh, never uh, pulls any kind of shit with even younger bands. He's always inclusive. Uh, he's my 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 son's godfather, and um, you know he he's a really near and dear uh, friend, uh, near and dear to my heart, and a friend to Andrew. Uh, we're just like family. And Rob too. And Rob, Rob, yeah, too. you know, we're all um, still tight. We text each other all the time. Yeah, we all hang out and uh, when we can. And you know, I will say one more thing about Dave. Yeah. Um, not not to keep going on and on about Dave Whitty, but he, he'll probably love hearing this. <laughs> we hope. Uh, you know, when he came in the band, he like Carlo said, he made us step up. Especially me, I was like a discharge type guitar player. You know, he. He made me level up to to something I never thought I could be, and he also was a good like uh, moderator for the material. Right? We had done all like I would just write all these rips, and we would just record everything. You know, we we did. Now we had somebody that would say, "Actually, no, don't do that," <laughs> or you know, and with no ego, we'd be like, "Yeah, no problem." you're right. <laughs> you know, you're probably right. You, you know more than us, you know, you're better than us, you know? So we would like listen to him and he was always right about arrangements and, you know, the riffs, he would, he would take my riffs and make them something else, you know? And the stuff he got out of us, especially two, 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 that's when we were really like, Holy shit. Like we're doing this with him. And it's like really our first real record, you know, I, it was always my dream to put out an album and to have him help us, you know, guide us through it, you know, from, from the drumming standpoint, his fills in that record are absolutely ridiculous. His drumming on its performance is sick. So, um, you know, he brought a lot out of us and, you know, we were so tight. Like when we went to record the record, we did a lot of that shit in one take. And I remember cause he was just precision and I knew exactly where, where to play, when to play all the stops, all the starts, all the fast shit, you know, and I remember I went to do overdubs and I did like another track for guitars and I didn't even fuck anything up. It was like a miracle. It was like just because of the shit, the performance he laid down on that is just like, to me, legendary. Yeah, I suggest the listeners take a listen if they're not, fam if not familiar with that. Um, uh, and uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Another thing I wanted to ask each of you guys, if you had any recollections about, was playing the Milwaukee Metal Fest 1998, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we talked a little bit about the reception of, of uh, quote-unquote power violence or whatever it was that you guys were, were doing stylistically with the New York hardcore crowd and that sort of thing. What about playing um, the Milwaukee Metal Fest in 98, and how was the experience in general? Go, Carlos. I'll, yeah, well, I'll um, again, for for me, uh, playing there was like playing, uh, you know, an arena or something. 
in the sense that <laughs> in 91, I drove with, uh, in 91, I was 16 to give you context. I drove with my friend Omar, my friend Rick, and my friend Rob Savage. We drove to Milwaukee, Wisconsin from Queens to, uh, to see the Metal Fest. So it was a destination, it was like a, you know, Coachella for, for dirtbags, right? It was a destination thing. And then here we are, uh, you know, all these, you know, few, not even that many years later, and I'm going to play it. We played on the relapse stage, which was cool because relapse was like, that was with Dylan Dritz, Escape Plan and Brutal Truth. So it was like the cool kind of underground, you know, if you were into hardcore and grind, you were going to be around that stage in that area of, of the Eagles ballroom. And um, we, we went over well, uh, you know, uh, we had a lot of, a lot of love from the, the, the people that knew about us already or knew us and people that were just there that liked the other bands that maybe weren't familiar with us. I remember we had a really good response. I remember uh, the songs that I sang, I remember I had the mic and I, I made some comment about the Christian metal bands that had played, bef- you know, uh, at the fest. Living Sacrifice, Living Sacrifice. Living Sacrifice, <laughs> I made some kind of uh, disparaging remark about Christian bands and they went over well and uh, it was low hanging fruit, to be honest. Amazing, with you. amazing. Yeah, you know, little wise ass thing I always remember. But we had, uh, again, my friend Omar and my friend Rob, the guys I had gone to Milwaukee Metal Fest uh, as a teenager, they came on out stage, on the trip with on us. Stage, yeah, right. they came out, they were on stage with us uh, being our, our quote unquote roadies. Uh, and it was just, you know, we, we played well, we went over well, we were around friends, uh, the relapse guys were always great to us. Um, and the, the fest itself, like Merciful, Face, Merciful Fate played. Death which played. Was a big deal. Huh? Death. Death played, <laughs> Death yeah. Played. Meshuggah. Meshuggah, <laughs> you know, Mayhem. Mayhem. Mayhem, yeah. Yeah. So Impaled Nazarene played. I mean, yeah, come on, it, man. it was. It, it was. And for, for I me, hate God. I hate God played. Yeah, for me that was the peak era for a lot of those bands. So it was like perfect. Did Emperor play too? Emperor played. Emperor also. played. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Emperor played. Fucking, but fucking crazy. But I remember crazy. Brutal Truth. Like Danny came up to me. He's like, um, "You could use our sound guy for your set." I'm like, "I fucking love you, man. You're the king of metal." Danny Loker is a fucking god. <laughs> hey, so nice. he was always so good to us man. brutal truth oh, those guys are great always so nice to us um, yeah, but we but went over well I remember when I was playing I looked down and Lino from Hemlock is standing there and right next to him is Mayhem from Necro no Necro Butcher from Mayhem is looking at every note I'm playing <laughs> watching me, my, me play guitar and I was like, so like Oh fuck! <laughs> I was like, "Keep it together, keep it together." Necro Butch is watching you. <laughs> wow! Yeah, no pressure. Um, yeah, no pressure, no pressure at all. You know. Awesome, man. Yeah, I unfortunately didn't attend that one. I I had a similar experience. When I turned eighteen, I had a cross country road trip with my old friend Mike Norton. Um, shout out to him. I haven't seen him in a long time. Uh, but we went to Milwaukee Metal Fest in two thousand. Man, it was a great experience. Uh, one, another festival that I wanted to ask you guys quickly about your recollection of, uh, I know you played one of the Fiesta, uh, Fiesta Grande, um, uh, festivals organized by Chris Dodge of Slapaham Records out in California. That is true. And Chris was always good to us too. Um, always really, you know, really nice. You know, I put out, I put out a split by his band Spaz with Monster X. Um, so we were always tight. They stayed at my house and they played in New York and stuff. And we'd always hang with Chris when we were out in the West Coast. Uh, you know, we'd always be playing with Spaz or 
you know, or one of, uh, you know, a slap of hand band, right? And he invited us to come play. And that was a total honor for me and the rest of the band because, you know, those are like the best shows. Playing at Gilman, and it's like, it's like the CBGBs of the West Coast. That's how, like, legendary the place is. You know, that's, you know, all our favorite bands played there. Neurosis started there, you know, all those kind of bands. So, you know, it was an honor to play those play that show and um carlos you know probably got a good taste of what that scene was about when he went out there and saw it could talk about it yeah we um if we played snap by dri right we covered yes that? we opened yeah. up with snap yeah we opened up with snap dri um people liked it yeah uh, yeah uh it, it was again we had some friends from the, from new york that came out with us yes so that, Tom, yeah. Tom from Chainsaw Safety was there. Yeah, Omar was there. Couple guys, yep. Omar, Omar was there, right? Uh, Lino was there. So it was right. it, it was uh, a great feeling. Uh, again, another for 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 me, it, a personal highlight playing music was playing Fiesta Grande uh, because it was for that time period. It was like uh, currently in hardcore would be like Sound and Fury. It was the the festival you can get on. You know, it was like the stamp of approval from from Chris Dodge and, and that and that uh, West Coast, uh, you know, Bay Area family. So it was, you know, it was packed, amazing. All the other bands were fucking phenomenal. And uh, Slight Slappers, holy shit! Oh, you know, Light Slappers, insane. But yeah, it you know, you got to bring your A game at Fiesta Grande, man. You got to bring your A game to that one. Yeah, yeah. People showed love. We we were you know honored to play it, and uh, people asked me. You know, I live in, in L.A. Uh, and um, I I meet people all the time at shows, uh, and and when they find out that I was in Black Army Jacket, uh, we'll talk about that time and scene, and and they'll go, "Oh man, Fiesta Grande!" You know, it's it's you know for for that world, iconic shit. I I would actually take right now though any listeners who may want to familiarize themselves more with that, that quote-unquote power violence scene of the 90s. Um, a CD that I bought from Tower Records in the 90s as a teenager that opened up my whole world was this the Fiesta Comes Alive compilation, which had um, like one or two live tracks recorded at Fiesta Grande from so many iconic band, bands. Yeah. Were you guys on that? I forget. We weren't on it. Okay, um, okay. Oh, were we on the CD version? I don't think so. Uh, we, we that came out before our Fiesta Grande, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah, it had. So we were on many one of the later Fiesta Grandes, but um, we weren't we weren't on it. But I think um, I'm trying to think, you were on the Cry Now, Cry Later compilation. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Only on the CD version. That's what I. Ha- I'm a poser. That's what I own. No, no, yeah. dude. You're not, you're not a poser, dude. That's um, cool. Yeah, no. Um, I, I. That's another one I got in high school that made a, a that and the Fiesta comes alive. Cry now, cry later compilation and Fiesta comes alive and yeah and and if you're gonna go on Discogs, young guys and, and girls out there, get the fucking CD so you have the all the shit. Don't just spend a bunch yep. of money to have some Colt seven inch. I don't, but yeah, this those those were awesome compilations, man, and really give you a great totally, over man. overview of that scene um everything's covered you got no comment there's the bastard crossed out um you know capitalist casualties i mean there you go that's the the list goes the, on my personal favorite that's the mount rushmore right there right? <laughs> uh ex- excruciating terror even though they like oh, should awesome. even though technically they they sound like an old earache grind band like they were yeah. they, they weren't really power violence in that like 
kind of eccentric, hardcore punk way. Like, they were just straightforward grind, but they kind of just, I guess, played a lot of those shows and, and were in with a lot of those type of bands, man. Such an amazing band. And they looked like they would kill, they could kill you. They, yeah, they, they looked like, they had they like, a, like the meanest <laughs> guys in the world, but they weren't. They were nice, actually, but they looked like they would just fuck kill you the, <laughs> they look like they sounded right <laughs> the band photo uh the band photo in the i think it was the first album had like a cypress hill vibe man it was it was a really just a band with a cool image and a, a, an awesome sound yeah, if you didn't know them you weren't approaching them yeah <laughs> i've behind the scenes i've reached out and had a dialogue um with a few ex-members oh, and I'm, I'm hoping i'm sure they're not there i remember talking to those dudes they're very nice. You know, very yeah. nice to me. No, um, no, no. Yeah, I'm just making. I'm just making the point. I have reached out, but we haven't been able to secure any any uh, interview or anything yet. Hopefully, one day we can. Yeah, Carlos. Man, we used to talk about that all the time. It looked like they were like uh, very intimidating, and they, <laughs> and they played amazing. <laughs> yeah. so, oh. Tight as hell. Tight as hell. Love that. Yeah, didn't uh, Raymond from Fear Factory? He played drums with them, or was that Phobia? Maybe I'm thinking of Phobia. I know somebody from Fear Factory was associated with them early on, so you're probably yeah. right. Yeah, maybe uh, yeah. probably from LA, all LA scene. You know? um, yeah, all, the, all that stuff like Phobia, Extreme Terror, Phobia. Um, you know, um, then you have Despise You out here. Oh, all all hard, all hard imagery. You know, gang shit, LA like you know, like gang sign shit, scribble graffiti. You know, just that very LA kind of uh, vibe, and then. Um, you know, we talk about scary people, you know, they were nice guys, but, you know, for me, the the, the scary, intimidating people were like, man, is a bastard. When I remember seeing them, when we, when we played with them at CBs, that was the first time I ever saw them. And just, it, they were just like, had this presence, intensity, you know? Again, like, Steve Heritage. And they were like, they played like a prog band, right? They were like, they yeah. were, the way they played was like, as good as like, you know, King Crimson or some shit, yeah. but on, on a DIY level, like a DIY yeah, they, they very intense, very just you know serious about what they were doing. No smiles to be had on stage. <laughs> really interesting style. I mean, they 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 kind of did something original there. Um, they definitely and, influenced us. Uh, the two bass player thing we started out with that that was directly because of Bass the Bastard. I mean, come on, Buckshot Face. We just I was just a buckshot face. I've had a two bass player period too in the in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just di <laughs> like cool, man. directly ripping off that those ideas. Um, did you guys happen to know Rich Mullen back in the day? He was around the scene a lot. He because he was at, I don't know. He he was associated with a lot of those shows. He was a Long Island guy that wasn't that was the second bass player. But um, anyway, getting oh, okay. getting back to Black Army Jacket. Um, respectfully. According to Wikipedia, anyway, it says that Relapse approached you guys to record an EP. I guess there was some sort of recording that was never released. Uh, you guys were aiming to write maybe more technical or complicated material, which would speak to what you were saying before about Witty. Um, and it says you were even entertaining the idea of maybe a name change, but the band abruptly broke up. Uh, following a show in Boston, I think it said. I don't know if you want to address any of that or talk about any of that at all. Yeah, like so. Relapse was supposed to put out a seven inch by us with six song seven inch. It's actually on closed casket. It's the first six songs on closed casket was supposed to be on as a seven inch on relapse, right? Got but it. we okay. broke up. You know, we had gone through like this uh, change in the band where Rob wasn't the singer, Carlos became the singer. Right. We brought in 
John from Burnfoot, before Burnfoot, the son, John Adabata on, on second guitar, he was in Time's Up, a band called Time's Up from Jersey. He, he went out to go to Burnfoot, the son, after Black Army Jacket. And, um, you know, we did a tour. It was fun, you know, with, with me numb. That, that was good. Then we were going to record more material. That never happened. And that kind of like not doing the recording, I think, kind of deflated the band. And the relapse thing, the 7-inch was supposed to come out. Rob was singing on the 7-inch. The 7-inch was supposed to come out, but when we broke up, they told Dave, Witty, we're not putting it out because you guys broke up. Which is fine, because, you know, they're not going to put out bands that, at the time, they were only putting out bands that were together. And touring and stuff like that, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And we didn't really have a problem with it. We didn't, like, get pissed or get mad at them. We love those guys. Okay. Uh, a lot of respect for relapse. And, uh, we just like shelved the recording. Another label at, at one point later in the 2000s was going to put it out of the seven inch, but they never got their shit together and did it. I was going to do it at one point, but I got bored with it. And I got like, you know, I got on to other, some other things. And later on, me, Carlos, Dave, and our friend Pete got together and did hope another band called Hope Collapse. So with three fourths of Black Army Jacket, kind of like taking some riffs of that that material that we wrote after that that was going to be newer black army jacket stuff more a little more technical a little more death metally um took some of those riffs and put it in hope collapse we changed the changed some stuff a little bit and um yeah that's that's the evolution of uh, our breakup to you know hope collapse so we really didn't you know it took a while for us to get that together but you know, we're all living in different places. You know, Dave was down in Richmond. And Carlos still lived in New York at the time before he made the trek out west. Okay, got yeah, it. We, we broke up. Uh, it was it was in Massachusetts, I remember. We did it. It I was. Remember? I thought it was on the – I thought I, Dave called me, like, the next day or something. He's like, well, I'm not doing it anymore. I was like, well, I'm not doing it without you. So That, that might have been the official, like, he called you. But I remember being in the van. We had done an interview – uh with a zine in some it, it, we pl i forgot the place we played but it was not boston it was in that state but not boston and i remember uh we did some interview and then we get in the van after the show and dave uh we're in the back and andrew was driving as usual uh and i, and I <laughs> with with witty and, and whoever else in the back and witty was just like yeah i'm over it uh, you know whatever and and i thought that was and i guess he called you the next day but yeah it was yeah, he you called. It, it was it was fine, and it was also, you know, the only thing that I was bummed about was I wish we had changed our name once Lowie wasn't a singer, and we could have just focused on that. That would have probably helped us, you know, our psyche more. And, yeah, uh, not recording didn't help either. We didn't record that stuff. Yeah. With Kirk Ballou was supposed to record. Yeah, and Kirk it got canceled or whatever. Like yeah. that didn't help. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, a testament to our friendship, it was, you know, maybe awkward uh, for a little bit. And then we just moved on and, like, nothing happened. <laughs> and we were psyched for Dave because, and John, because Burnt by the Sun was, like, fucking, when they came out, we were like, holy shit. It was like, this was meant to be. You know, him and, him and Dave playing together were just magic to me. So it was, like, really cool to see them do something right away that was, like, amazing. So I, I didn't feel like... You know, we we all left and didn't do shit. At least those guys did like something really, really good. 
Okay, man. Um, I appreciate you, uh, you know, sharing that. People always wonder what what happens with their favorite bands and things like that. Um, and you you touched on it whole... wasn't any drama, no, no, no drama or anything like that. So. You know, it's people yeah. people don't realize how tough it is to keep a band going just on the logistics alone of it, let alone people's interests and what they're aspiring to do creatively and where they're at in their life. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. Also, think about it logistically, like you said. That's an important point because. Dave lived in New Jersey and he lived like near the shore almost like, you know, near, near Redback, New Jersey, the way, way down there. And Carlos and I and Rob lived in Queens. So we had to like alternate. We had to practice. We'd practice in Redback, New Jersey one week. The next week we'd practice in Manhattan. So we would alternate, you know, going, taking the trek, you know, either Dave took the trek or we took the trek to practice. So that takes a toll on people. You know, of course, try, drive, try driving from Queens to New Jersey now. It's different <laughs> now. It's it's like you would just want to blow your brains out immediately. Back my, then, it wasn't as bad. So. My my blood pressure just jumped when you said those words. Yeah. I, I know exactly. exactly what you're talking about. I, I remember right. leaving practice. We had a studio in uh, New Brunswick. Yeah. Technical ecstasy. Um, huh. and shout out to Chris Pierce. But we, we would leave. uh we would leave practice from uh, New Brunswick. And I remember getting home like sometimes at one in the morning, just like over it, you know, just, yeah. just so tired, you know, you know, we're at that point, obviously we're all working. So yeah, that, that, you know, that gets to you, especially if you're not a band with, you know, that you're always touring and that's what you do for a living. It's, you know, it's tough. Understandable. Um, definitely understandable. And you mentioned, I wanted to say for the listeners, uh, this, the hope collapse, um, it was 2005, Year of the Leper on Inkblot Records for people who want to check that out. Definitely worth a listen, especially for fans of Black Army Jacket. Uh, as is um, Deny the Cross with the album Alpha Ghoul on Tank Crimes from 2016, which saw you, Carlos, and Dave reunited again for a project that has its own identity, but uh, I would recommend for fans of Black Army Jacket. Yeah, that was a, a one-off thing that we we had talked about for a long. I mean, I, I I became friends with Dan from Spaz instantly. Of of all the people that I met through Black Army Jacket that weren't from our area in New York, New Jersey, uh, PA, uh, out here in California, uh, I just connected with Dan right away. A lot of it had to do with with rap music um, and the kind of rap music we like. But yeah, we became really close. My brother passed away in 2002. And that was a time when I was kind of listless, just kind of, you know, I even it was a surreal time in my life. And I came out here to California and spent some time with Dan at his house. And he came out to Queens and stayed with me in my apartment for a while. And we talked about doing something together. Uh, and Frank, uh, a friend of his from Ages of Satan and, um, you know, a ton of other bands. Frank is, is a great bass player, uh, a guy who can actually play all kinds of styles and a real musician's musician. And he's like, yeah, I want to do something. Let's do something with Frank. And then, um, you know, I talked to Dave about it. He was down, but we didn't get it together until, uh, you know, Deny the Cross. And we did that record and we played one show. It was a Tank Crimes Brain Squeeze Fest. And it was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, that it is in the wheelhouse of, of uh, kind of the Black Army Jacket world, you know, grind, power violence, 
little death metal, some New York hardcore, um, like Hope Collapse. So, um, yeah, those two two projects uh, were a lot of fun, and and uh, yeah, Dave played on both of them. Dave is uh, Dave is always in the timeline of of, <laughs> of my life, and Andrew musically, you know, we work with him a lot. Yeah, man, um, and. Uh, yeah, I just appreciate you talking about that real quick. Highly recommended for the listeners because I, you know, we always this is like a music podcast. We like to recommend albums people can go back and check out with a little more context. Um, and one of those is would also be um, at least the first EP by Dis Nihil uh, of of Long Island and New York City um, from two thousand and seven. So I guess two years after the Hope Collapse record. Uh, Andrew, you were involved in the band Dis Nihil from New York uh, with the self-titled EP on Chainsaw Safety Records. Um, I actually own it. I think there. I didn't play on that one. You did on the demo only. Played on the demo. Okay, so I'm sorry. So the listeners can scratch everything I just said. But um, Dis Nihil, they're awesome. But Uh, yeah, I just I had a baby, so I had a daughter, so I really was like when the band like started like happening i i I got really scared i couldn't like do it anymore like you know like i had a kid it was like oh i gotta be more responsible (laughs) i can't be in williamsburg at three in the morning Uh. (laughs) you know what i mean like that was that was my whole uh crisis at the time so i left the band before that ep uh came out but i wrote stuff i helped write stuff on it and stuff and i'm really good friends with tom the other guitar singer still he lives out in California now, but shout out to Tom uh, from Disnile, who's a fucking awesome dude. Love that guy. I, um, yeah, I, cause I was going to say, I don't know that you were in the band at the time, but my old band Biolich played with Disnile once or twice. And I saw them play shows around the time they, they were around there in the early 2000s. So I did remember that band. And again, uh, for people who may want to explore the contributions of New York-based artists to grindcore and power violence and everything in between, that's another band um, that maybe in the early, maybe, in, I mean, in 2005, I think that style had caught on on the East Coast a little bit more. Yeah, like the tragedy from Ashes yes. Rise type stuff. Mm-hmm. His Hero's Gone. That's where we were coming from with that. Yes. Um, yeah. We were trying to be like a New York City, like DB type thing, you know. But we were trying to be a little heavier, too. We were trying to do, like, we added a lot of single note picking stuff, metal stuff into it. Because Tom is an amazing guitar player, so he was able to play, like, a lot of crazy shit while he sang, too. So, very amazing musician. And there's a connection between Dis Nile and Carlos, too, because Carlos did a band after Dis Nile with the drummer of Dis Nile, Jimmy, called Lakota. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, Carlos, you want to talk about that? I mean, for the listeners, it's a bit of a more more melodic rock-based band than some of the stuff we've been talking about. Um, but obviously, you know, that was a big part of your life. Do you want to reflect on that a little bit, too, for the listeners? Yeah, Lakota was a melodic rock band. Uh, singer had a lot of... Um, I always said, what, say, when I first heard uh, the singer Kane, he, he uh, played me a demo of a song he was working on. When we first met and i'm like man you remind me a lot of uh bob mould when he was in sugar you had that kind of vibe and he's like i don't know who that is so um <laughs> it blew my mind I'm like you sound like bob mould but you don't know who bob mould is <laughs> anyway um i digress but yeah lakota uh was melodic rock in the in kind of in the same uh space as maybe foo fighters jealous sound uh game face knapsack knapsack yeah that kind of stuff you know uh 
influence super chunk super chunk by that kind of pegboy at times um whether yeah, those definitely. guys knew those some of those bands at the time maybe not but they they did soon after meeting me i'll tell you that um but uh yeah it was melodic rock we did we did a lot of touring we put out a few eps and an album we uh the last tour we did it was with further scenes forever um, <coughs> john bunch was in the band i got to become friends with john bunch was a huge deal as a sense field uh fanatic um and uh yeah lakota was a lot of fun and that was until 2005 and then i moved or or 2006 because i moved to la in 2006 and i think at the beginning of the year i was still in lakota and then i i quit it was just over over it because we were really going for it you know we were trying to get out there and and see what would happen and i i just i i got i got burnt out on it and then they they started another band but yeah uh jimmy the drummer from um lakota was um was in Disnile and, and has played in other bands but but uh lakota made an album called hope for the haunted i'm trying to see if i can get it on streaming services because i know that's i mean that's how i listen to music to be honest with you um so right now, when I listen to Lakota album, if I ever want to put it on for somebody, I'm like, go to YouTube. It's on there. Yeah. Kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> kind of sad. I will say, Lak- Lakota is my wife's favorite Black Army jacket adjacent band. <laughs> <laughs> but she likes that more than Deny the Cross. Go figure. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well. She, likes, she actually likes Lakota. <laughs> got, so do uh, I. <laughs> guys. Me too, me too. Me too. You've been very generous with your time. Um, and res- to be respectful of your time, um, I, you know, we, we will, we will wrap it up, uh, um, shortly, but there's a, just a few more things I wanted to ask about. Um, now, uh, now obviously Carlos, for people who've been living under a rock, you, um, are responsible for the no echo website, uh, which, uh, features various, um, covers from various sources. Um, it's, it's, it, in, in a way, I guess you might say it's, it's almost like an open source, uh, music and entertainment website because because you you uh, uh, host content from a variety of different writers. That's fair to say, right? Yeah, I mean the bulk of the writing is me, but I, I do have people who contribute who I'm very appreciative of. Um, but yeah, it's you know it's going to be ten years next year, so planning on on stuff for that. But No Echo, um, you know, predominantly is hardcore, and even more so now than before. It started out kind of all over the map, uh, kind of whatever I listened to, but now it's just I, I focus on hardcore because uh, that's what I'm most passionate about in terms of getting the word out, and it needs to get the word out, right? We we need to cover not just the big bands that play Sound and Fury or these big fests. It's it's about covering bands that that are uh, up and coming, older bands. Some of the bands we mentioned today have been featured on No Echo in 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 depth interviews. You know, everyone from Keith Huckins to Dan from Spaz to Dave Whitty to Andrew to uh, uh, Artie, uh, Artie's bands. Uh, his, his most recent band is on No Echo. So, uh, you know, it's showing love to all generations of hardcore and uh, more importantly, up and coming bands who need that spotlight. And, um, you know, cause there's so much shit that comes out. It's, it's I mean, I can't even follow it and, uh, and I'm pretty involved. So. Yeah, No Echo is my, uh, I tell people that it's like, um, you know, some people, you know, my age group love going golfing or going fishing. I, I like to write about hardcore music. And um, yeah, it's it's a it's a big, big part of my life and I'm very proud of it. And um, if you haven't gone on No Echo, uh, please 
please come check out the content. There's tons of stuff. I mean, you, if you've never been on the site, you're going to guarantee it. You're going to find a lot of stuff that you, you'll enjoy. And that's not just because I do it. I'm telling you, <laughs> it's just a nerd. It's a nerding out thing. You're going to just, there's so much in there that it's just, it's almost like I wish it was like my first time going on it because there's so many, especially interview-wise, uh, people that I'm like, man, I forget sometimes. Oh, yeah, I did interview this person, you know. So, huh. um, you know, it's ongoing. And like I said, there are contributors who help out, and, and I, I love that. And if anyone listening to this wants to contribute, just hit me up at carlos at noecho.net, and, and we'll set you up, man. I, I could use the help. But, yeah, most of it is me. So, um, you know, there, there, there are times where I'm really just – burnt out and don't want to do it but i commit to people sometimes i'm like i'm gonna get your song up by friday i you know we're gonna help you and and i always stick to it so it's uh you know that work ethic that new york kind of hustle it, it, it does me well for that i i appreciate that man um i can relate to some of those sentiments in terms of um uh, uh you know trying to do the podcast and that sort of thing labor of love so to speak uh yeah. and, and i wanted to say quickly for the listeners um, as I said, I want to be respectful of your time. You guys have been on here a while, but um, on the One Step Beyond podcast, uh, of which you were a guest about a year ago, you did uh, an expansive interview breaking down more the business and behind-the-scenes production end of what you do, not only with No Echo, but with uh, Fascination Street Films, um, kind of a, I guess we could say a production company, for, for um, lack of a more specific term. Um, now... And and again, I, I you know I I don't want to open that um open that whole can of worms right now. Pe- people could listen to that. You you like I said, you did a, an excellent interview where there's a lot of even people who are interested in the behind the scenes workings of the entertainment industry, the film industry, that sort of thing. Very interesting interview on One Step Beyond podcast that you did, uh, Carlos Ramirez that you did. Um, uh, and I don't know if there's anything you want to plug in terms of that. If people can check that out, if there's social media or a website for that. No, I mean it's just uh, you know we 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 have we do you know branded content. Um, we have uh, something right now that we're hoping uh, gets over the finish line. Um, a, a documentary. Um, I can't. The, the problem with with this stuff is like I can't even like. Yeah. But I will say it's about uh, Jim Baker, uh, PTL. Huh. Okay. Uh, for uh, people who are old enough to remember that, so. Yeah, that that is you know that that world is 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 really interesting and you know um, it's it's hard to uh, imagine this but you know I've worked in music in, in the music business I worked at record labels everything from indie labels to Universal Music Group anywhere you work in entertainment whether it's TV film music especially when you go on set or you're, you know you're on a you're on a shoot. There are. I always wear hardcore shirts. I, I, I wear band T-shirts, mostly hardcore shirts, every day of my life, pretty much, right? Unless I'm going somewhere nice, you know. And I, I bring that up because I'll be somewhere on, on a shoot or work, whatever, and people will say, oh, my God, hardcore people are everywhere, every fucking where. And, um, you know, it... What I, what I always tell people about hardcore more than just the music, because hardcore is, this is something that comes up all the time too. And, and I'm, it's, it gets on my fucking nerves, which is, that's not hardcore. This is hardcore. That's metallic. That's heavy metal. That's death metal. That's metallic hardcore. That's metalcore. That's not, you know, hardcore is only, uh, 
infest or hardcore is only minor threat or hardcore is only uh, the cool, the cooler, you know, uh, you know, Japanese bands, whatever, <laughs> you, whatever you call hardcore, you know, I, I don't give a shit. What I consider hardcore is what I consider hardcore, but the most important aspect of hardcore outside of the music for me is the friendships and the connections that I've made. And I wouldn't be here talking with you here if, if it weren't for that. So um, it's very, you know, it's like a small world, you know, in the context of everything you, you know, you, you could be here. I've been at, you know, I used to work at a cable network called Fuse and I remember being in a meeting now, uh, you know, I wasn't wearing a band t-shirt, but someone brought up no echo, which I hate when people bring up no echo when I'm in like civilian kind of things, because I don't want to talk, like explain it and all this kind of stuff. Someone brought up no echo for whatever reason. And the, person turns to me who didn't work at Fuse. This is like this known cinematographer guy who does a lot of documentaries. He's like, you do no echo? He's Swedish. I love no echo. You talked about H, H uh, you know, the hate, the hate bands from Belgium. And you, you talked about Congress and you talk about, uh, you know, spaz, whatever. And, you know, it just, it's that, again, that testament to how great hardcore is and how, you know, these friendships we've made. I met my wife, not that she knows who uh, Integrity is, but, or Care, but I met her, you know, kind of through, through, well, I met her through a friend who I knew from the hardcore scene. Nothing to do with her in hardcore, just, they just, you know, and here, here I am with two kids living in California. So, um, you know, hardcore is everywhere, more so now than ever before. And people that are my age, older, are crusty and, and bitter about things and, 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 you know, jaded. And they'll say, Oh, hardcore, you know, back in, you know, rev revelation one through 20, that's, that's the peak. Nah, man, nah, it's, it's, it's always going, it's always continuing. And, and for people who are in their early twenties, now other teens, the band's gulch is their version of the best band or ass suck, you know? So I always try to be conscious of that, you know, uh, going back to no echo. It's not about what I listen to only it's about, I just put it out there. Check it out, guys. This is what I think it sounds like. Some descriptors. You make up your mind. Check it out. You know, some of it I love, some of it I don't really love. But uh, not the point, right? But again, hardcore. Um, the connections. I don't think there's any of any scene I've been involved with. Rap. I put out a. You know, I put out. That's a whole other story. I put out a rap record. Uh, not me rapping, but you know, I put out my friend's record. I've worked at labels where I worked pop records. I've worked country records. There's no scene like hardcore, the, the connection, even metal. I will argue that to my dying day. Hardcore people and that in that community is the strongest uh, for in my experience, underground music community. And I know Andrew would agree with that. Whether, you know, warts and all, right? Warts and all, it's not perfect, but when it comes down yeah. to it, we have the best times with other hardcore people talking about these things. We just love it. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Fair enough. Man. I just right before this podcast, I had coffee with uh, Jeff from uh, Two Man Advantage and Too Many Voices and yeah. Judas Iscariot. We were just bullshitting about all the old times and you know classical and island bands. Hard, yeah. Hardcore is fucking the best shit ever, man. It's it's made made our lives much better. Absolutely. It's ruined it in a way too, but <laughs> <laughs> I could say the same about I would say the same, but I would just probably put a little bit more death metal than hardcore for me. But, yeah, but same same vibe. It's, it's, it's all interchangeable. The, it's all interchangeable, the same yeah. shit, man. 
Um, well, I appreciate that, man. And on the same tip, uh, Andrew, I know you do still operate a record label, correct? Yeah, it's it's kind of on the on the uh, periphery. I'm not like fully entrenched in like having a whole operation, right? I I try to I'm trying to put out more records, right? So I have the split release with Dave from State of Mind Recordings, the Black Army Jacket double LP that's coming out hopefully in June. And I'm also putting out the CR discography with a split release with Black Claw Records out of California. And that's Sean and his wife, uh, Tina. Uh, Sean was a PhD, Pillsbury Hardcore, end-to-end process. A lot of um, Charter Mains, a lot of amazing bands. And we, we've been friends a while. And um, we collaborated together on the CR record. And that's a ne- very near, both of these projects are very near and dear to my heart, you know. And that and that's how I like to do it. Split releases now with people I trust, people I love, and projects I'm really passionate about. So um, there's some more projects on the way, um, you know, that I'm going to be putting out and I'm also going to be playing on. <clears throat> Carlos is involved in one of them. So hopefully it all comes to fruition and we could, uh, you know, announce it sometime. But I'm not going to talk prematurely about something that's not recorded yet, but you know how that goes. <laughs> but yeah, the, those are the two projects I have going right now on, on the label front. But uh, I'm looking forward to more, you know, because it's, it's always nice to put out a, a tangible product. I listen on streaming like Carlos, you know, I'm in my car a lot, I'm, you know, at home in the office. I can't always be on, you know, playing records like, I, like I'd like to. I'm a big vinyl head, uh, head and collector. But, um, you know, it's always nice to get a tangible product, you know, you can hold in your hand and, you know, flip it around, play it, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm big on formats myself. Enjoy it. You um, and you know another thing I would recommend, uh, as you said, you are a bit of a record collector yourself. The Analog Attack YouTube channel interviewed you, uh, not too long ago, and you 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 talked a lot about you actually displayed some of the your um choice cuts from your record collection, uh, yep. uh on that one. So I could recommend people do that. Um, as I said, you guys have been very generous with your time, and I appreciate it. I know the listeners and the Black Army Jacket fans appreciate it. I, I, I urge them, uh, all the listeners, to check out all of the music and all of the releases we discussed uh, during the last um, uh, uh, hour and a half that we've been going. Could I ask you guys please to close out by recommending one new and one old release um, of any genre, any artist you like at all? Just recommend something from back in the day and something a little bit more recent. There's no hard and fast rules about this year to that year or anything like that. Just give us two solid recommendations uh, on your way out. Please, man, we appreciate it. Carl, you go first. All right. Um, since uh, it's fresh in my mind, there's a band out of New York called Illusion, New York hardcore band. They just released a song today and uh, blew my mind. Oh, wow. I love them. Um, uh, yeah, the name's a little generic, Illusion. So it might be hard to find, or maybe not. I don't know. But they're called Illusion, and they have a kind of a best wishes, Chromax kind of vibe, uh, kind of yep. crossovery at, at times, but Iceman, Iceman a little bit. Iceman, yeah, that kind of yeah. kind of uh, spirit. They're good, so, they're really good. Yeah, Illusion's really cool. Haven't seen them live yet, but hopefully that will change. Um, they're they're put out by uh, Ikulu, another New York-based band that I love in that kind of wheelhouse. They put them out on their label, Cash Only. So check out Illusion uh, for, you wanted an older recommendation too, you said? Yeah, yeah. 
I, you know, I got to go with, with, with my, uh, you know, my, my, my uh, boys integrity. Um, I fucking love integrity. I'm one of those marks, man. Anything integrity related, I'm in, I'm all in. Um, and, uh, I, I just, it's one of those bands I never get tired of listening to. And, you know, for, I'll go with today. It's going to be, um, uh, humanity is a devil. We'll go with that one because I remember being with Andrew buying the vinyl. That's, that's how old it is. I remember I still bought vinyl back then. And we were just, we, we, I remember going, hanging out with Andrew in the van talking about that record when it came out plus head to the cover and we were just like cracking up like this is so fucking ridiculously good you know how do you, how, how how is this possible you know this is so fucking heavy and integrity in the 90s still had that mystique you didn't know much about you know yeah. there was a lot of rumors they didn't play new york they couldn't play new york you couldn't play new york because yeah. of the shit whatever that's all squashed but <coughs> but yeah they had a mystique to them and it was just yeah. I, i'm all in still love them i'm, I'm friends with 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 Duid now um but yeah, I, I fucking love integrity. So humanity is the devil is my pick for the classic. Classic album. Um, fair enough. All right, and uh, Andrew, you want to weigh in? Sure. So my my newer one is something I just ordered, but I've been listening on streaming because the vinyl didn't come yet. They shipped it. It's on a label called Twenty Bucks Spin, and it's a band called Fugitive. It's an EP called Maniac. So Fugitive, if you if you don't know, is uh, Blake from Power Trip's new band. Okay. So Blake from Power Trip, the guitar player, started the band called Fugitive, and they're fucking amazing. <laughs> they're really just like, kind of like that heavy, the heavier Power Trip stuff, but a little more death metal. Okay. All right. Sounds really, good. Really, really good. Great vocals, and they do a Bathory cover, so that sold me right there. They do Raise the Dead. So. Yeah. 20 bucks, Ben, um, always um, puts out pretty good stuff. Oh, amazing label, yeah. and um, I, I highly recommend Fugitive uh, Maniac EP. So, okay. Uh, I can't wait to get the vinyl. I've been playing it on Apple Music nonstop, so at the gym and shit, so it's awesome. And um, for old, I actually just got this. It's a reissue of a an older napalm death record it's uh words from the exit wound huh. on earache so earache just reissued on vinyl for the first time one of the best uh 90s era napalm death records words from the exit wound underrated Classic. underrated underrated record it's one of the best records of that, that era i think um you what? know it was kind of like they did diatribes people you know crapped on it then they tried to come back inside the torn apart got better but Words from the Exit one, I think, is really that pinnacle of that that period when they had, uh, you know, of course, Jesse Pintado on guitar, rest in peace. Um, they're really, really great lineup and uh, great sound. Really had Colin Richardson produced it. It's amazing. Really heavy. And, um, yeah, that's my pick for an older record. But even though it just got reissued, it's, it's, it's new old. It's funny. <laughs> well, yeah, because... It's funny, like up until you said the '90s, I was I was thinking to myself, like I thought that was a fairly recent album. It's just no, something '98. It's it's yeah. something about Napalm Death where if it happened before Diatribes, you think of it as a certain canon. Whereas like if that's it happened, true. like you like people, you know, it, it, that's a good point that maybe people and, need to I just mean, get over Diatribes and you know. And then there's post Enemy of the Music Business Napalm yeah. Death, right? That's like that was an amazing record too. I mean, they really, but you know what? Let's face it. Any napalm death, you probably can't go wrong. Except diatribes. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, 
I'm sorry. I, I still don't hate it. Okay, I'll say that. I, I used to hate it. I now, now it grew on me. That's I, not bad for a discography that that's that even leaders, not followers, like the whole discography, that's not bad. If it's a blemish, I mean, then you you think about Metallica and Slayer, you know. Even you know. Slayer had a bad record, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, Napalm Death, pretty pretty good track record or, or amazing track record. F- yeah. No, fair still, enough. And they still, they still kill it. Still kill it. Live. We did. Uh, the new records are great. The new records are great too. We did some sort of episode a long time ago where we talked where where we we kind of like talked about Napalm Death's uh, diatribes. Um, trying to <laughs> I gotta check like, that out. Trying. Well, I think the the premise of the album was like was like defending. Uh, defending quote unquote bad albums or whatever it was, and you know, but yeah, yeah. but w- whatever it was, but but at the same time, I as a youngster when that album came out bought it, not knowing you know a from b about Napalm Death or anything with extreme music, and I do that you could still like the greed killing I could sit through, and there's a few other songs I could definitely sit through on that album. It had you know yeah. they it is what it is, man. But um, but and you're right, Eric man, is you reissuing know. it. I think I think it's gonna get more love now. Eric's reissuing it on Eric on Demand. It's it's in production, so when it comes out, I bet you more people will like it. I bought a copy, so they they better not go back. They, they better not bring those songs back live, though. Please, come on. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to see too much. <laughs> that was when that. they discovered Helmet, right? Yeah, like, all those bands discovered Helmet. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? In this era where there's so many hardcore kids that are into groove oriented death metal, that doesn't really uh, get too technical. I could see that having a little bit of a. Re, yeah. You know, I'm telling you, I, I, I predict it. I predict it. <laughs> All right, man. Well, you heard it here first, man. Um, guys, Andrew Orlando and Carlos Ramirez, um, not just of Black Army Jacket, as people just found out throughout the course of this, this interview. Guys, I really appreciate your, both of your uh, time, both of you guys uh, giving the time tonight. I know that um, it was very interesting for me as a fan of your work, and I'm sure for the uh, for the other listeners. Uh, and let me ask you just this. If you each want to take a turn, parting words for fans of your music and your work and the content you've created over the years and listeners of our program. Thanks to everyone uh, out there who who still cares about Black Army Jacket and messages us through social media or you know individually when we're out and about or doing other stuff um, means a lot to us and and uh, like I said earlier the friendships we made uh, through the band priceless and better even than the experiences uh, making the music really the the, the memories being uh, on the road or being at practice and making these inside jokes and that stuff uh, is always going to be uh, special to me. So thank you for everyone who is, or anyone who's ever, uh, you know, been supportive of Black Armor Jacket. Yeah, I'm going to echo that, you know, uh, you know, thank you to all the people who supported us, you know, the beginning through, through now and all the fans that still buy, like when I put out merch, they buy the shirts. When I put out records, they buy the records. You know, I'm looking forward to hopefully people supporting this new release that we're putting out. That's that's really important to us um, to document that and keep the vinyl alive and keep uh, the physical format going and people having a chance to have our whole discography on vinyl. That's that's my takeaway here. And uh, Will, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate you, and it's it's great to have a local Long Island guy, you know, interviewing on special. Uh, same here, man. right back at you, I should say, man. Same, and um, yeah, again, thank you guys, uh, Andrew Orlando and Carlos Ramirez, man. Have a great night, gentlemen. We appreciate your time.
Thank you so much, man. Thanks for your time. Are you ready over there? You got your basketball shorts rock. on. I got my yeah, like I said, I got my M ones. I got my it's all. It's, it's, it's I got four pairs for twenty bucks. Yeah, Jesus. remember I, when that was a, a prestigious company when they had like a, a cachet behind them and like celebrities wearing their shit. Now, now, like we said, like, I think we talked about it. Now they're in Walmart and all, on all the, the 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 budget places. But hey, I'm glad it works. For yeah, me. I'll take it. I'll take four for twenty. Or four works for, for two me, for man. twenty or whatever it is. I'm trying to get my champ stuff at Foreman Mills, man. You just gotta you gotta you gotta try it on a little. Sometimes the sizes aren't as reliable as they used to be back in the day um <laughs> licensing them out but um you know what else isn't as reliable as it used to be back in the day rick uh, uh a particular drummer uh for a doom metal band oh, that i know of whoa yeah. whoa whoa no, no, whoa no, no, no. he's pretty reliable these days oh man um wow <laughs> I was gonna say uh, uh, barbaric occult war metal, man. Um, oh. If if that's the word, man. I don't. We. I don't want to get all into the Fergus bashing yet. But um, you know, and I'm not even. I'm not even the. Uh, uh, I am the authority on Fergus bashing. Uh, but I'm not the authority on black metal or what constitutes barbaric war metal or the occult or anything. But I brought in an album that I asked you to check out yourself that is fairly new to me. It's something I've been trying to like. Every once in a while, you come back to an album. Like it has a legacy, it has a reputation. You you want to try to understand more where it's coming from, and it finally clicked for me recently. Um, after you know trying to get into it once or twice in the past and not really understanding what was going on there, man. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm talking about um, Beherit's "Drawing Down the Moon" from 1993 on Spine Farm Records. Um, recently reissued uh, on Nuclear War Now Productions on a variety mm. of formats. They got all your formats covered. I did procure recently a very um, tasteful, a classy cassette release of this uh, uh, album. And because I had finally listened to it a few times, I, I you know I check, I previewed it like like I said the last year or two. It's been something that's kind of been on the fringes of my radar. Um, and I, I listened to it uh, a few times uh, since getting it on tape and really in enjoyed it for a few reasons. But, Rick, I'd like to hear your take first before I really, really get into it. Yeah, this has been, you know, I've heard the name over the years, and it's just like a black metal. Is that, is that what this is? Is, is? is that, you know, very raw. This is very primitive stuff from my ears when I heard it. I was didn't know what to expect going in. And, uh, you know, there's just something about it, man. It's like an atmosphere that they set up, that they convey. Um, maybe it's just because, you know, the, the equipment and the technology they were using and the, the, the raw sound and all that combined with the the vocals. And just, I don't know, um, very kind of chaotic and, and, and uh, just, just raw old school sound. Uh, it's not it's not my... Uh, my genre of choice, but I, I do appreciate it uh, for, for what they were doing. And, and I could see how they impacted uh, various other bands coming down the pike after that. 
Yeah. Stone Farm was a sick label, by the way. Back yes. in the day. What are they, French label? Uh, off the top of my head. Actually, well, well I, I actually I could say off the top of Metallum right now, uh, looking up. They're for, they're a Finnish label, classic Finnish. Finnish label. Put out a lot of great old school Finnish releases. Um, such the as first the, Dark Tranquility album was on there, I believe. Yeah, they also dabbled with other bands. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff to go down that that wormhole. But um, yeah, this album, man, interesting album. Uh, I always knew there was something there, and I guess it finally just kind of clicked for me. It reminds me in certain ways of an album I bring up from time to time, uh, Carcass's Reek of Putrefaction. Mm. I, I could hear it. I could hear the guitars right away, yeah. It has that raw, lo-fi yeah. quality yeah. of way back in the day, maybe perhaps produced by someone that didn't know a lot about extreme death metal. I don't know, you know. Um mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the has those like bestial like guttural vocals and the pitch shifter vocals. It has this kind of like raw. Not, I don't want to say sloppy, but the production and the performance is just a little sh- little shaky, little raw, unpolished. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of it is kind of unlike Carcass. It has this ritualistic, uh, like kind of ambient side ambient. that comes exactly up sometimes. Yes, yes, it has yeah. like this mystical occult. Uh, aura to the whole thing mixed in with the bestial raw production gore grind stuff and you know a band that i have gotten into that was maybe a little bit easier for me to get into quicker was blasphemy from canada mm-hmm. uh and their initial two classic albums from from the early 90s this to me seems to take a similar road but in a but makes it more obscure and more mysterious with the addition of the keyboards and the ritualistic kind of thing and and it has like the spoken the spoken word like saying a ritual kind of kind mm-hmm. of parts it's a it's a very mysterious album with a lot of atmosphere and I love it for that man I love you know it appeals to the brutal gore grind side of me and the like the real raw death metal guy in me but it also has that kind of like um fantastic uh uh like atmosphere that tickles your imagination too man really interesting band and once you get into the history of this band i've i've read about them obviously in some of the books i've talked about on the podcast from time to time um there's there there is a really strange atmosphere like a, a strange um history with the band they've kind of kept things very mysterious for a while and they've resurfaced recently so mm-hmm. it's 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 a cool history to get into that um it doesn't even start with this album there was a series of demos and eps before this album but this is obviously hailed by many people as like a hallmark of this style of this niche genre like subgenre of black metal whatever you want to say um obviously i'm not an expert on it i'm you know this is this is me kind of going outside of my comfort zone and trying to learn something about an album that a lot of other people hail as a masterpiece and i really do i think see something in it now i i learned how to appreciate it man any any closing thoughts rick yeah this uh something i i heard only just once so far uh, so yeah it, introduced to it i'm gonna i'm gonna pick it up uh get a get a cd of it just so i can uh surround myself and encompass myself in its in its aura you know, on my system here uh, that's what i like to do we we recommend records lately when i'm on i, I buy them and then i just check them out uh afterwards in in you know my couch or whatever and enjoy that's what i'm gonna do with this one here um the keyboard you mentioned that i forgot to mention that and that that was a standout part for me too they don't they don't use them a lot you know just 
maybe a, a segue is, I guess, in between songs at points from what I remember. But yeah, they were really cool the way they used them. I, I really enjoyed them. And these are this is 1993, right? So recorded in 93 or 92. So you're talking about, you know, some older equipment and, and it, which is cool because like the ni- keyboards are weird, man. Like in the seventies and eighties, you had your awesome analog synths and then the digital stuff started coming out. And those, there was a uh, hit or miss, you know, some of those sounds, they sound very dated at this time. Yeah. 25 yeah. years, 30 years on, uh, there was a band I heard, uh, I don't, I don't remember what band it was. And they had a piano part and it was very, <laughs> this is a 90, 1998 Korg that we're playing a piano on. You know, you could tell, but um, it's cool, man. That's the, that was a little side. I don't know where I went with that, but there, there's a good, some keyboards and it all adds to the cool atmosphere on that album. No, I, I hear you. Um, I just looked it up. It was recorded in 1992. Uh, and yeah, like there's there, like when you hear the key, the synth sounds, it sounds a little dated, but it's also, it has a charm to it, you know. You you sure. can't you can't go into this expecting to hear, uh, you know, a, a modern black metal album or whatever, or you know, one of the the classic Norwegian black metal albums. This is a different animal altogether, and you have to be ready for something that's just a little eccentric, a little a little weird, a little raw. And the, those keyboard sounds they actually um, they reminded me a little bit of some of those like eighties. Like uh, I don't know, like Tangerine Dream and the uh, the movie Legend, you know, like some just it, it it adds to that aura of mystery, man. Or even like um, people people might know, uh, you know, Birdsome obviously added like synth sounds and did whole albums with synths. There's and 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 then you get into uh, Mortis and the whole like dungeon synth genre. Just the idea that this album branched some of those type of elements in with the more raw beastia and even like pitch shifter vocals and for the time in 1992 in Finland it was it was it was kind of happening in a little bit of a bubble you know these guys didn't have the internet they were relying on whatever kind of tape trading and zines they kind of had going on and it's 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 you know if you kind of look at this in context for the time and place and maybe you can even read about it a lot on the internet now and in these books that have come out um Definitely a cool historical album with a lot of lore. So I I, I highly recommend it. Uh, I've I, and I you know I've talked about my love of Carcass's Rika Putrefaction. I've talked about my love of the band Manticore, who no doubt I'm I'm sure um, are influenced maybe a little bit by this band or at least are uh, fans of them themselves. And um, de- de- definitely uh, uh, you know without over talking it, I'll just um, uh, tell Tom we're talking about Beherit's Drawing Down the Moon. Um, and let the listeners be the, the judge from here on out. Um, yeah, Beherit drawing down the moon. Um, be careful listening to that one in the dark, Rick. If you, if you, when you get in your system, man, it's kind of well. As you see, I, 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 uh, I have these beautiful purple lavender lights uh, that are <laughs> for just for mood, you know, to to bring the mood down to to where I like it. 
the yeah the the uh, lavender um, uh, hue it, it, it illuminates yeah. uh, any kind of demonic energy that gets in the room, so you're aware of it. I yeah, it, it it purifies. It uh, purifies. Yeah. I, That's I, I why they call me lavender. I remember that way. episode of Ghostbusters, hundred <laughs> percent. Oh boy, you know what else I remember? Uh, Black Army Jacket. Big shout out to Andrew Orlando and Carlos Ramirez for all of their time. They were very generous with their time this evening. Um, that's why we're just going to do one album recommendation and get out, man. We appreciate the listeners listening thus far. Rick, I appreciate you riding shotgun with me on this one. Um, Absolutely, bro. And taking a walk down down the occult uh, uh, path of Beherit with me. Um, we got some, let, let's see what we got. Was it May 24th, 25th? What was, it? what was the show coming up? Uh, May 25th. May 25th at the old St. Vitus Bar. We're going to be there with Torturous Inception, Soul Remnants, um, and... Yeah, that's May 25th. Ion Non-Eternal. Non-Eternal, and um, Reeking Aura I'm talking about, me and Rick. Yeah, me and Rick scrambling here to look up the phones because i hit us i hit us with the the i hit us with no notes with this with the uh, uh show announcements just now yeah. uh lots of other That's stuff on next show yeah. Yeah, yeah lots of other stuff coming up uh check out the social medias man we're more we're a lot more prepared on on instagram and facebook uh, uh doing the shows exsanguinated busting out some stuff if you are listening to this in time may the 7th on sunday we got um uh necropsy odor and befetic corpse playing at um shakers pub in out east long island with anal birth and bowel erosion a classic gore grind and gore noise show that's going to be may the 7th this sunday at shakers pub out east wow. long island that is kind of a crazy blowout man we're looking forward to that one um beyond that like i said man you can always go to nycmetalshows.com and check out all the shows so, big shout out to matt um we have a uh, Gray Skies show on uh, June 9th, which is actually coming up. I can't believe it's almost, not almost June, but it's next month. Uh, it seems to be our annual show. We're playing uh, with uh, Mother of Graves, Soul Shade, and Fall in Fall. And uh, yeah, it, that's going to be at the Kingsland. And we're going we're gonna to play some new stuff uh, with uh, <clears throat> Mother of Graves, who I recommended last time on here when I was on. And uh, those guys are really cool. And it's going to be a really good doom metal show in New York. So, yeah, that's awesome. what we're doing. Looking forward. And I'm going to see Halloween on the 20th, and that's also going to be sick. Oh, snap. Yeah, I know you like Halloween. You get busy on Halloween. Yeah, my goal is to meet Kai Hansen that night just because I know he hangs out before the shows. I got, he's like one of my gods. You know what I mean? Guitar gods of this guy. So I'm going to go, hey, how you doing? Yeah, that's the plan. I, speaking of how you doing, I'm an idiot. A necropsy odor. The band Necropsy Odor from California, not Stench. Necropsy Odor from California. I misspoke. Uh, and Mephetic Corpse from California playing with Bowel Erosion and Anal Birth, the innovators of Gore Noise at uh, Shaker's Pub Sunday, May 7th. That's going to be a New sick York. show, man. Yeah, forgive me, man. I haven't had my coffee, man. I'm sure, the, sure those guys understand. Um, yeah, and uh, like I said, beyond, beyond that, check the social media. It's exsanguinated. Got a lot coming on. We're coming up. We're going uh, out of state. We're going all over the United States coming up in June. Check out our social media. Wow. We're playing with a lot of different bands. We're going to see if I still got it, Rick. Um, who knows, man? Who knows how? Yeah, who knows man. how I fare out there on the road? Who knows if yeah, the we're guys hitting the road at, at this advanced stage? Uh, you know, <laughs> at this advanced, <laughs> at this advanced stage. <laughs> Me anyway. <laughs> I'm bringing the walker. I got the uh, the diabetic lotion for my skin. Uh, I'm gonna be doing good. <laughs> you know, it's fun. Yeah, I, we can watch uh, buckshot videos from YouTube back in like 2012. 
2014 or 2013 or something. And yeah. there, was a, there was a couple jokes about, oh, there's the old there's the old guy over there. He's like 40 or something. And you guys were talking about me and shit. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day soon, you'll know. And here we are. Yeah, yeah, so, man. That's why you just got to crank out as much good shit as you can uh, while you can. That's how I look at things. Yeah. Well, you know, it's... it. It is. It's one of those things, man. You know, you, 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 some people are building a legacy. Some people are in it for the party, and you can't judge, man. But um, I, we won't go down that road. I've had that discussion many times on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Love everybody, it's man. Times, so man. yeah, it's yeah. all good, man. Good times. The magazine. I remember that one, man. Um, but like I said, man, uh, be sure to check out that Black Army Jacket uh, uh, discography coming out soon. Open casket, man. We appreciate those guys' time. Thank you to the listeners. You can always feel free to drop us an email, heavyholepodcast at gmail.com. The phone number to leave a voicemail should be in the description wherever you are reading this. Um, what else? We got some guests. We got some great guests coming up. Uh, um, books, a few people coming up this month few people i got to get back to i want to say we did i will acknowledge quickly before we get out we did miss a week uh don't want to get into it too much more than i already did because i had a family issue and i want to thank everybody who reached out that's why i want to get into this right now on the show because i want to thank everybody on social media who reached out uh in the email on instagram um bandmates and friends of mine who reached out who, who have my number who, who texted me i want to thank everybody who reached out and support uh when i had a big family issue uh just just recently man people know what i'm talking about man so with that um that's the only unfunny serious part of the, the episode uh you know right now that i want to get out man but yeah i do appreciate that as as we move forward man uh rick anything else to add before we get out of here nah just uh keep keep ripping keep rocking that's how I that's how I live life, ripping and rocking. <laughs> that's that's the one. 